Hello and welcome to another fantastic, extra special roundtable edition of Normandy FM. We are ostensibly a Mass Effect podcast in some way or another, and we are doing these roundtables, of course, to uh, to cover the Legendary Edition. I am one of your co-hosts, Eric Van Allen. Kenneth Shepard, how are you feeling this morning? Feeling like I got revived by a human supremacy organization two years after oh dying. You've got to have some mixed feelings about that, Ken, don't you? Probably. We're going to need some help exploring these mixed feelings. And I think we're going to have to bring in our roundtable of experts, starting with Michael Hyam of GameSpot. How are you doing today? You're, I'm doing all right, man. I woke up extra early, uh, for, or I needed to wake up extra early, and I'm glad that y'all uh, abided by uh, my accommodations. So I appreciate y'all. Y'all do great things. You know the vibes. <laughs> Time waits for no shepherd. We got to get up and early to podcast about Mass Effect. Also because we got to get these out, you know, like while the world is still sane for us games writers, you know, before E3 and all that starts. So (laughs) uh, joining us also from GameSpot, Lucy James, how are you doing today? I'm doing well, thank you. Uh, Very excited to be on and talk about Mass Effect because I don't think I've ever spoken about my love for this game before or this series. So (laughs) Oh, exclusive. Wow. (laughs) <laughs> I remember the first time I saw Lucy uh, on a video was a Danny O'Dwyer joint, and uh, Lucy was talking about Mass Effect and how it helped her, and you had yeah. red hair. Yeah. Oh, wow. wow. That's going back <coughs> almost 10 years at this point. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Big sure fan, we'll you know what I'm saying? This. Big fan. <laughs> <laughs> and rounding out our roundtable today, Elise Favis, how are you doing? I'm doing good. Happy to be here. Ken, I have you finally gotten every fanbite staffer onto this podcast? Are we? <laughs> we're are at we least nearing... over halfway through of all of them. Okay, I we're through the majority. Yeah. Okay. I knew but there's still more. Happen. There's still more that can come. Okay, well, we'll start making a list. <laughs> <laughs> Today we are talking about Mass Effect Two. Uh, both, I'd say, the game at large, and especially in you know like the context of the legendary edition that has come out but before we get too deep into that uh we've got three guests who are all new to the podcast and so i wanted to run down the list real quick and just kind of get an idea of what got all of you starting with uh uh elise sorry my my (laughs) smart speaker just told me an amazon package arrived (laughs) that was (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so that's also good news for the podcast but uh starting with uh elise we'll go in reverse order this time what got you into mass effect in the first place um so it it was actually an ex-boyfriend and the only boyfriend i will ever have because i'm gay <laughs> but uh yeah nice guy um he loved mass effect and uh he was like oh my god we have to play mass effect one together So we booted it up. I absolutely hated it. Um, And I did not get to the Citadel even. So I just did that like first mission and then put it down. And I was like, yep, that's not for me. And then um, a year later, I'm not sure. I'm not sure what changed my mind, but I went back to it, finally got to the Citadel. And that's the point that like changed everything for me. Mm. Um, I got really into it, really into the characters. And that just got even you know, I got even more attached once I got to Mass Effect 2 and Mass Effect 3. Excellent. As I understand, you're you're a fan of Thane as well. We're probably going to be talking about Thane. <laughs> I am a fan of Thane. I love him so much. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I I love Liara. It was funny because 
she's like my first love and then i was actually deeply upset playing mass effect 2 for the first time where i was like why is she barely in this this sucks Mm -hmm. (laughs) um and that it it turned out that i yeah i really fell for for the soulful thing so it worked out wow well lucy how did you get involved with mass effect uh Similar story, not an ex-boyfriend, but it was uh, friends of mine at university and one of them just was banging on about Mass Effect. And I got, you know, I finally got my 360 and I remember going to a second-hand shop here in the UK called, what's called CEX, but everyone just calls it Sex. And so the the game that I would buy would be Mass Effect, oddly (laughs) fitting. Um, And I I kind of did the exact same thing as Elise, where I played it and I got to... um, Therum, and I was doing the Mako properly for the first time. Mm. Hated it, bounced off, left it for a few months, uh, came back, and yeah, something the second time around just completely clicked. Blasted through Mass Effect 1, played Mass Effect 2, just fell deeper and deeper in love. And actually, I think one of the very first events that I got to go to when I started my career in the games industry was a preview event for Mass Effect 3. And so it kind of, um, I have a very special relationship with Mass Effect in general, just how it pertains to my career, but also the fact that I was going through, and um, this is the video that Michael was referencing, that I hated university and I was very deeply sort of depressed and quite aimless. And Mass Effect was the game, probably more like Mass Effect 2 was the game that kind of made me realize that there was a career path that I would like to pursue. And uh, yeah, so that's that's kind of my relationship with Mass Effect. I, I owe a lot to this mm-hmm. series of games. And all because you bought Mass Effect from a sex shop. Yeah. Early on. Yeah. <laughs> that'll be that'll be the uh, that'll be the line in the autobiography. <laughs> a sad girl walks yeah. into a sex shop. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's a great that's that's the the title right there. there you got it right now. Oh, you should uh, save that for uh, for an After Dark episode. That would be a great... Damn. Uh, uh, yeah. well, a shameless plug, you know the vibes. <laughs> <laughs> when we record on Thursday, Michael, just pretend like you didn't hear it. I'll do it Okay, again. all right. <laughs> I got you. Michael, what about you? Oh, shit. So my brother is the probably the biggest influence in my life in terms of games and music. And it turns out games and music are the most important things in my life. So shout out to my brother, Johnny. Uh, so he bought me on my... 23rd 13th birthday i know is it 13 uh shit i can't remember oh he well anyway he bought me star wars knights of the old republic for xbox and i was like oh snap what's this and he's like yo i heard this game's fire uh and then uh we were always into rpgs so he 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 got it for me and i played it i'm like yo i've never played anything like this before holy shit I can be whatever I want. I can do whatever I want. This is Star Wars. I didn't have a particular attachment to Star Wars at the time, uh, but that was that was my intro to Star Wars. And actually, uh, my, hmm. the first, the first like video essay thing I did for GameSpot was about uh, Knights of the Old Republic and how it made me a Star Wars fan. Um, and I absolutely love that game. And I was like, Yo, that's that's, that's Bioware. That's they they did uh, all they did all this other shit. Uh, and when Mass Effect, when word got out that Mass Effect was coming out and whatever. My brother was like, yo, 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 those, those same people that made uh, Knights of the Republic, they're making a new game. It's going to be a whole uh, brand new sci-fi thing. I'm like, oh, shit, that sounds dope. So he got it for me for Christmas uh, 2007, 
And this was like when I was right in high school. And then I immediately fell in love with the first Mass Effect. And this is why I still say that Mass Effect 1 is the best. Um, but that's that's for another time. Um, but yeah, I just I absolutely fell in love with the atmosphere. I've never played a game that was so deeply ingrained in the space opera vibe because it's things like the codex where everything is explained in such great detail and mm. the like the ethereal music that makes me feel like I'm in outer space and shit and the extension of all the things I loved about Knights of, of the Old Republic have evolved in this game and uh, like you don't need any prior knowledge of a previous property or anything like that it's just a whole clean slate and I, I thought the gameplay was fire I love I love, we'll talk about this later, but uh, I love the Mako sections because, like, real talk, um, yeah, that's, that's just wild janky, but the thing is that it felt, it made me feel small. It really felt like I was exploring other planets, and I was just in awe of what that felt like to feel small in a game, to be mm-hmm. overwhelmed by this sense of exploration that I am in space, that I am only a small thing in this whole galaxy. Um, many things like that. And just like, obviously, the emotional ties of, you know, bonding with characters, making tough decisions, uh, and the intensity of the final moments of that game, uh, and then you just get invested in uh, the players of the uh, of that universe and who sh- who I thought Shepard uh, would be or who my Shepard is. So uh, from then on, it was a done deal, bro. That's awesome. I'm I'm glad we had one person that did not immediately bounce off a of Mass Effect one. <laughs> oh, shit. Yeah. I was like, is this a running theme of this? Like the people on our Mass Effect Two podcast just couldn't get into Mass Effect. <laughs> um, but I think it's it's worth examining that a little bit because like Mass Effect Two, and, and I think I was talking to Ken about this uh, recently when we had both uh, Rise, we had both gotten code about Mass Effect, and we're playing through these uh, for the Legendary Edition. Is that each game is so radically different from each other in in very different ways like mass effect one is not really a lot like mass effect two when you start to break it down like no mako uh like a much more focused mission structure uh your crewmates are completely different the combat like completely changed so i'm wondering like especially for those of you who like mass effect two a lot uh what is it about mass effect two that grabs you in the first place i guess i guess for me it's i look at mass effect one as kind of the foundation of that universe Mm. like it really um is a great kind of explainer for the world and um the sort of different kinds of people that are in that world whereas mass effect 2 just goes a little bit deeper and it's like let's let's examine more like yeah who who, who these people are and then see the world through them and I think it does that very well. And it also sets you up for a lot of the um, the bigger conflicts and defi- decisions that come in Mass Effect 3. So it feels very brilliant to me in that way. And I think the loyalty missions um, really nail that feeling um, of just how character strong this, cert- this specific game in this series is. Um, it's, it really lets you... <clears throat> like. I guess for me, playing again after many years later, some like there are certain things that I'm noticing that I guess either I forgot about or may may not have noticed the first time, mm. um, or just like little things like wow, Morden is is really ruthless. You know, the first time mm. you meet yeah. him, and yeah. uh, like almost like a sociopath every once in a while, 
And I love Morden, but I feel like my my connection to him this time around is almost more complicated than the first time. And maybe that's because mm. I've grown as a person too. But um, it's really fascinating that a game can actually bring that out in me um, and just shows how complicated these characters are. Yeah, yeah. I totally agree. I think Elisa totally right in saying that it's like, the first game is very much this sort of introduction to this universe. And I think one of the things that to me makes Mass Effect so special is you are plopped into a universe that has this lore, this history, all these races who hate each other. And the races have history between each other before humanity even gets there, right? And then Mass Effect 1 feels a bit grander in that regard, but Mass Effect 2 is all about the character moments and the fact that you know, the pl- it, it's so clearly defined what this game is going to be. It is this suicide mission. You assemble a team. You have this very, you have the overarching Reaper threat, right? But it's kind of diminished in the fact that you're kind of doing the collector thing first. You have to go through the Omega-4 relay. You have to do that. You have to get these people together. And along the way, I think it's just such a tighter experience. And that the way that it's it plays out is very, very clever because you have these the moments where the story kind of comes in and you ha- you kind of have to do um, Horizon, you have to do XYZ, but then you can do the rest of it at your own pace and so spend time with the characters that you want to spend time with. And compared to Mass Effect 1, you spend a lot more time with a lot more characters mm. and I really, really mm. enjoy that. Especially because, you know, look, playing, playing Mass Effect 1 recently, you kind of forget how diminished the role of the, uh, especially like Garrus is mm. and... There's yeah. so much less dialogue than you kind yeah. of remember. And then going into Mass Effect 2, it's it's just they've upped the ante on that in so many ways. If uh, folks know me, then you know that I'm all about games like Persona and mm. Final Fantasy 14 and um, Nier and games where uh, character relationships are the focus, are the most powerful thing that drives you to do the things that you need to do in the game. And I think that, that I've... I first experienced that in Knights of the Old Republic uh, to a much lesser extent, of course, because uh, mm-hmm. dialogue with characters on the Ebon Hawk and all such shit uh, did have stakes in that game. And the same thing for Mass Effect 1. But Mass Effect 2, uh, as y'all was saying, is that Bioware went so ham on character relationships uh, because the game is built around that. Like the suicide, like st- the, the result yeah. of the suicide mission depends on the relationships and how much you have invested in them. And when I finished the game, because the first time I finished the game, like half the motherfuckers died. <laughs> I, was, uh, I, I, was a, I was a dumbass, you know, saying we, we've all been there. God's working on all of us. But that, that it, it really put things into focus that, uh, like the, the power of friendship. I do not shut the fuck up about the power of friendship. <laughs> anime and fucking uh jrpgs like the power of friendship bro mass effect 2 was all about that shit and i think that was the moment when i realized like this is my favorite aspect of the game like i was at the time i was like a uh, playing pro level counter-strike when i wasn't really pro but i was like playing competitive counter-strike and i was all about like oh this game is more like a shooter oh cover-based shooter like i, I know how to play gears and all sort of shit so like the action orientation of the gameplay of this game was like okay yeah, yeah i fuck with this this is cool but when it was all said and done i'm like Oh, I did all that. I I was I spent like the last I was playing five hours at, uh, during a session because I was so I needed to know what happened next. I needed to see what's happening with my boy Thane. I need to see what's happening with my boy Jacob, uh, and uh, all this other shit uh, that 
yeah, the, the character focus is, is so good because it builds stakes. And there are moments mm-hmm. in the game where you need to make, uh, like, I mean, these games always have, like, you know, tough decisions, whatever. But there's also, like, a sense of urgency. And I think that games, yeah. it, it's hard for games, especially RPGs, to build a sense of urgency because they want you to do the side quests. They want you to um, play as much of the content as possible. But Mass Effect 2 doesn't really explicitly tell you that, like, it's implied in the story, and you need to understand that. But there's no like counter in the corner that tells mm. you, oh, you have X amount of days to do this thing. It's just like, yo, shit's going down, and you need to fucking do something about it. And that that sense of tension and urgency was such a fascinating thing. And combined with, oh shit, like I I'm I need to make moves, but I also still want to do these side quests and help my squad. And I think that's what fucked me up the first time was I didn't realize that. Uh, and those can have grave consequences. So, like, there's so many complexities in Mass Effect 2 that one obviously didn't do because, like Elise said, that's the foundation building game. And then two mm. was like, okay, we can take some risks, we can do some wild things in this game, and they pulled them off. And those are the things I remember most about Mass Effect 2. Yeah, it's, it's um something that was really stuck out to me when I was playing all these games, like one after another in a row in the past few weeks, was uh, what I think a lot of people might have forgotten along along the way is that. The broad strokes that you're getting from Mass Effect 1 means that not really any of the moments of those really like iconic characters that we think of happen in that game. So I would not, it would not mm-hmm. be surprised if like a newcomer came into that game and was like, what's the big deal about this Garrus guy? Like, why is everybody always mm-hmm. uh, talking about this person? <laughs> like, what, what is, like, I don't, I'm not getting what the hype is about. But with Mass Effect 2, I feel like they've, they've gotten the foundation of the way and they're getting to more of the meat of these characters. And it also like allowed me to have like more complex relationships with them in general because like, in Mass Effect 1, you're kind of having, you're you're basically like an acquisitive role, like, hi, tell me about the world, tell me about your species, your culture. And in Mass Effect 2, you're like given more space to have actual relationships that might be positive or negative. Like, like you were saying at least earlier with Morden, like, I have a very antagonistic relationship with Morden because I think he's a war criminal and I think he deserves to be called out for that. Um, I don't jive with Jack, so like she and I are constantly like not getting along the entire game. And I think being able to have like the more tailored uh, individual relationships with these characters in Mass Effect 2 is what sets the foundation for all of the payoffs to have in Mass Effect 3 to be way more impactful. Because I think, like, by and large, I have... Mass Effect 2 is probably my least favorite of the trilogy just because, like, sort of a lot of little minutiae that piles up to kind of just push it down the ranking for me, where my issues with, like, Mass Effect 1 are more, like, broad stroke things, where, like, that game sucks to play half the time. Um, <laughs> but I do think, like, something that I'm coming away from the Legendary and feeling like is, like, I know that we are, like, by, by the nature of doing these roundtables, dividing these things up into three distinct things, but I feel like I appreciate Mass Effect 2 more so when I view it in the context of the trilogy, even though that also makes some of the things, some of its larger issues, I think, more apparent. Yeah, I I can understand that much. Um, it, it was definitely weird the first time, like, playing this again and, and going back to Mass Effect 2, which is, and I think, even now after playing it again um still is my favorite of the trilogy but um even though one has now like really really closed that gap with the legendary edition um but the thing about two that always gets me is uh when we did our one round table i I talked about like again one of my favorite moments in mass effect one is just talking to the the elcor and the volus ambassador on the citadel when you first get there and learning so much about not just other species but the idea that these species have inherent power structures and you get to hear the volus ambassador talk about like oh yeah you know we were one of 
the earliest races to the Citadel, but we're not on the council because we don't have the ships that the Turians have. We don't have the the info, the espionage that the Solarians have. And Mass Effect 2 really like lets you explore some of these areas. Like a lot of the characters that you're working with are kind of, you know, they're outcast in some way, they're uh, different in some way, or they're just working in the parts of space that you never really got to explore in the first game when you were this like, you know, specter off to save the world. And now you're, <laughs> you literally die and come back to life <laughs> and, and you're working for a very shady, um, po- like very likely extremist organization uh, that, that just wants to advance human rights. And at this point that means like stopping the humans from being abducted. So your, your goals line up, but here you're just, doing the shadier stuff but you're seeing like what this universe looks like when you're not on the presidium when you're not living in the best parts of it but you're living in the toughest parts of it and like all the all the sections in omega especially tachanka like i did not expect Mm. tachanka to hit me like it did this time around Mm. but um when i was doing morden's mission and i was just going through there and even like grunt's stuff uh i was just like man Rex like hits a different way this time around because I am still bummed he's not in my party, but it's really cool seeing this character that in Mass Effect One was such a you know hardened mercenary and didn't want anything to do with his home planet, but now he's here and he's trying to turn this like nuclear rubble into a homeworld for his species. And even when you like show up, Grunt is like, This is the place that they were like talking mm. to me in the tank about. This is the home of all the warlords. Why would you fight over this? But by the end he's like, I get it. Like this is this means something to us. If we can build something here, that means we can build something for all of us. And I was like, Oh, this game is is really good. <laughs> this game <laughs> this game gets great. Um and I think that like that maybe does it some of the some of the biggest parts for me in, in Mass Effect 2 are the fact that I think this is the most like um in terms of like species and stuff like that we're seeing the widest range of the universe of the galaxy in our squad in this game um you know we we don't just have like a couple aliens and a couple humans like you have Solarian squad mate you have a Drell squad mate and you have a Geth squad mate yeah. <laughs> the only time right. in the game and it's so cool to see these perspectives that we don't really get in the other two games. Yeah, and the having having so many different types of uh, species in your party, like that's that's the thing that drives you to the different to different planets. It's kind of uh, yeah, it, it it drives the exploration. Like you never get to go to Tachanka, and it's like oh, I get to see, uh, you get to have that dynamic right there. And yeah, it, it, in a way, like when I said Mass Effect One made uh, me feel small in terms of like in awe of the visual aspect of it i think that mass effect 2 uh kind of uh, like once that once the, once you know what the what, who's who there then you get to dive deep into like what they're about so like even like having legion in your party is such a it's such a such a change in perspective from because in, in one like you're geth 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 the geth are the are the bad ones uh even mm-hmm. though like yeah. the reapers are in the background the geth are the the driving force um uh, with all the violence that's happening in the in the in the universe, and then so yeah, broadening those things, broadening the your types of squad mates also uh, makes you explore and see the universe in from different perspectives, and that's such a that's such a unique thing because also 
yeah, you're like most of your squad mates, like who are these? Like I thought it was going to be back with, with, with the squad from one, but it's like, no, you're going to have to learn who all these people are. And I think it's better for it uh, in many ways. So mm-hmm. that's what's up, man. The, the conversation you have with Legion, right? Like right after you meet him and uh, he's trying to explain to you like what, like legion is <laughs> and, mm-hmm. and you're just like what I should i call you geth okay but but everyone's geth well, like what should i call you who who is you specifically uh geth yes call me geth i am geth we are all geth we we are the platform in front of you and like, and Edie has to come in and be like it's okay shepherd i got this like shepherd still kind of dumb like that's another yeah. thing i've really noticed as i've played like I, I think it's intentional because you're supposed to be kind of this character that's always fresh to the world. And uh, Ken, I was talking about this the other day with the idea that like um, for PS3 owners, Mass Effect 2 was the mm. first game they could have played, right? Right. I, I ask you as a PS3 owner. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's that was weird. Like I was sitting there like playing through this and I was like, why is Shepard acting dumb about so much of this stuff? I was like, oh, maybe because there's a lot of people playing this who wouldn't have played the first one and they've got to play a little bit dumb in some cases to be able to do some of this exposition. But I think it works out. But then even just as much as I love talking to Tali in Mass Effect 1 about, you know, like what is Quarian culture like and how does it work? It's It hits so different when you go to Mass Effect 2 and now you're on the flotilla and you're in the middle of Quarian politics in what is maybe one of my favorite missions Ooh, in the entire yes. series. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, Same here. Yeah. That, absolutely spectacular. Yeah. That loyalty mission is, it, yeah, I think that is my, my favorite mission too. Um, and this game is just so bold in so many ways. And it's absolutely wild to me just how many different, even like smaller decisions or who you take on different missions with you can just mm-hmm. bring out um, different consequences or different circumstances. Like being able to bring Legion mm-hmm. to that mission with Tally is an <laughs> is an insane thing yeah. that they let you yeah. do. It's so good, <laughs> you, you know. And I think like first bringing on Legion to the ship. At least I was like, oh my god, like we're bringing an enemy like onto mm-hmm. our ship. What are we doing? Um, and then of course you get to know him, but um, that bringing him like i didn't actually bring him on the tally mission but just knowing that you can right. and knowing how that goes is everyone gets held up at gunpoint wild yeah. <laughs> yeah. like hey yo hey yo this this <laughs> motherfucker's a get fuck out of here wait like, a that, that's, minute it's so good just walking into the ship like hey here's me and my geth buddy so what are we on trial here for exactly <laughs> Oh, <laughs> uh, my bad. My bad. Maybe this was a bad idea. What? Well, you know, Tally, one charge of treason is bad, but two charges of treason really—it's the same thing. They can't make you more treasonous. So. Just a little bit of light treason, it's fine. As as, as a treat. Yeah. Hmm. Um. I I mean, so that's like the shift in in narrative. But how did we feel about the shift, just in terms of like? combat and stuff because that was the other major thing for me especially playing the legendary edition uh you know they've cleaned up mass effect one's combat a bit it feels better uh is what i'll say <laughs> it certainly doesn't feel like mass effect two or three but yeah. it, it feels like a better version of mass effect one's combat um but then mass effect two is just the second i like had control of shepherd in that game i was like oh wow yeah that this is major difference and 
And do we think that's like a good thing? Do we like the changes to to combat in Mass Effect 2? I'll bump it to Ken first. Oh, damn. Um, I think in general, I think, well, yes, I think Mass Effect 2 is generally just better to play. Games don't have to feel bad to be an RPG. That is not something that like, like feeling bad is not an RPG mechanic. Like you don't have to suck for it to be more RPG like to not be like an action game. But I do think that by and large, Mass Effect 2 has a lot of overcorrections, I think, just because like there are, like it does take out like certain types of like the mods that like Mass Effect 3, I think kind of like found a more easy middle ground of those two things. But, um, I do appreciate that every gun in Mass Effect 2 feels different. Like, that's something that you can't really say about Mass Effect 1. You can, like, you probably have a favorite gun in Mass Effect 2, where you might, like, with Mass Effect 1, you're trying to get the numbers to go up, and that's all the, the only real concern there is to be had. Um, even with the changes they made in Legend Edition, I don't feel like they really made Mass Effect 1 feel as good as 2, and especially not 3. And um, it's one of those things where, like, I, I wish that maybe, like, I, I think Andromeda to its credit, like, does kind of find a, a more uh, palatable middle ground between all of the things in terms of, like, having a lot of the RPG mechanics back, but also just feeling good to play at all times. Um, so, yeah, I... Mass Effect 2 is still missing some of the, like, quality of life improvements in terms of, like, I need a dodge roll, I need a heavy melee, I need, you know, some more of the, I guess, sort of, uh, traversal elements that 3 has, but just by and large, it feels good, it just feels better to play. I just, I wish that we could kind of get past some of the, uh, more like purist RPG talk around Mass Effect 2 to just recognize that, oh, Bioware learned how to make a shooter with this. Damn. Yeah. I I think that over time I've opened up to the, the shift in to Mass Effect 2's uh, more action style. Like I said earlier, uh, I played it and I immediately noticed it, of course. Mm. And I played a lot closer to the, like, the games of the time, right? Uh, like the cover shooters of the time. And uh, at first I was, or well, I'm, Maybe a little bit still now. I'm like, oh, I'm kind of bummed that they went rather than rather than refining what Mass Effect One was. They rebuilt it to feel like a cover shooter, which is which mm. is perfectly fine, and it serves the game really well. And I ain't gonna lie, that this shit's fun as fuck. Um, mm. But I am more of like an RPG person. Like I uh, was all about, I, you know, like traditional style RPGs, like JRPGs, and like obviously coming off Night's of Republic, I was more of a fan of like biotics and uh and tech first and then shoot uh second like mm. and the 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 heat the um, the mechanic of having to manage the heat of your guns i thought was very fascinating mm. and uh moving over to clips i was like oh okay i see what they're what they're trying to do uh, with this move and i think that it's also the move to being a shooter is also reflected in how the levels are designed because mm-hmm. in mass effect 2 Rather, well, in Mass Effect One, rather than throwing you into these huge, uh, like spaced out areas, in Mass Effect Two, you're funneled through very specific uh, series of corridors, most for the most part. And yeah, like that obviously serves that gameplay style a lot better. But it did, like when I was playing it, I was like, oh, I, I miss kind of having that that open space, having the having being able to feel like I can spread my arms out and not like run into anything because it, it a lot of the phases in mass effect 2 are designed to like okay this is where you take cover okay this is where the enemies are going to come from uh this is how this combat arena is designed so uh, you can do this and that and it's it's really well done i just at first it wasn't my it is it was it wasn't what i thought mass effect was going to be mm. um uh but i mean you know it, it is what it is and i'm perfectly fine with it now now that i look back at mm. it 
um, but it's it is it's very noticeable. And uh, yeah, I'm like I don't I wouldn't say that I prefer one over two or two over one. They're just very different. Mm. And uh, yeah, and then so when obviously when three came around, it's like okay, now we're going to improve on what two did. And I, obviously, combat wise of the three, Mass Effect three is the the better one. Um, but I think um, in the end, I think that. Uh, it wasn't. It didn't feel incongruous where it was like, okay, we're gonna throw shooter mechanics on top of this game that isn't designed to be a shooter, and now it's or instead they, it's like, okay, now we're gonna funnel you through these missions where yes, you are going to think tactically about playing this game more as a shooter with RPG elements on top rather than the other way around. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think the thing that's striking me is I'm playing through again, and especially straight after. Mass Effect 1 and Mass Effect 1 and Legendary Edition, they they changed the number of levels, right? Going down from 60 to 30. And it just felt mm. like you, you're yeah. you always leveling up. You're always putting new points in. Mm-hmm. Whereas mm-hmm. the way it's done in Mass Effect 2, where it's it feels like it takes ages to accumulate enough points to unlock mm. anything. So it kind of, it, it does a thing where it starts you off and everything's one point. So you, you kind of get those base abilities very very quickly and obviously there are fewer of them and then some are locked off especially in your squad mates to loyalty missions and then it just doesn't feel you know that rpg side of it that those numbers going up doesn't scratch the itch as well for me as it did in mass effect one but i saying that i do love how the shooting feels in this one i like the powers are more responsive mm-hmm. biotics in particular you know in yep. in mass effect one yeah. There was a specific knack to get stuff to mm-hmm. hit. And then, Absolutely. you know, in Mass Effect 2, it's just, you know, the game will kind of over-communicate to you that it has acknowledged that that is the target that you are wanting to mm-hmm. hit. And <laughs> so I feel like you... I I didn't go on Insanity for this playthrough, but I think I'm playing on Hardcore. And it just feels so much easier than mm-hmm. I think I remember it being... And I think that's just because Mass Effect 1 sort of prepares you for anything. But right. I do I do think that when it comes to the sort of RPG elements, people sort of forget the... Or at least I, to me, it doesn't feel like people talk about the, the sort of ship upgrades, mm-hmm. the way that weapon upgrades yeah. are handled. Right, yeah. I I sure. think, you know, it, it feels like you have more of a an immediately noticeable impact, at least on the ship. Although I do think it's still hilarious that when you talk to squad mates, it's just like conversation topic conversation topic all caps upgrades <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> um, but also i love the way that those are woven into uh obviously the outcome of the suicide mission too right. well yeah. my favorite part of that is that some of the crewmates give you like oh yeah we could really make this ship better you know we can make the cannons great we could build some really good shields to like block the collector laser and stuff and then you talk to jack and jack's like yeah, you can give me this sick-ass implant that's going to make my biotics way better. Only me, only for me. But if you want to do that, we can get that. And I'm like, great, thanks, Jack. That really helps the mission. Good work. <laughs> um, I think the other thing that I noticed right away about combat, and this might be... I've actually heard from people who, who really love Mass Effect 1's combat, uh, and I hadn't thought about it until I was playing it again for Legendary Edition, but the sort of unified cooldown that you have for biotic abilities, um, <laughs> which I'm especially noticing as I'm playing Vanguard again, because I don't understand why people play classes that aren't <laughs> Vanguard in Mass Effect 2 specifically, because Same. charge shotgun blast is way too much fun. 
but uh yeah i was having moments where i was like oh right you know i used unity so i can't do anything else for a really long time or you know i use i i, I just charged but i'd really love to shockwave these husks that are all charging at me right now and i can't because there's like a unified cooldown timer now it's not individual biotic yeah. abilities the mm -hmm. way it was in mass effect one and i think that's that's been the one thing that has been really tripping me up about Mass Effect 2. Um, and now, Ken, you're going to have to remind me because, again, I played Vanguard by Mass Effect 3, so I just hit the Y button over and over again. Did they keep the unified cooldown for Mass Effect 3, or was it? Yep. did they go back to individual? Yeah, See? they did. But they mm -hmm. did, well, in, in the case of Vanguard, I think some other platforms might as well. They also you get the percentage, to... though, with the, with the weapon loadout, so you can lower those cooldowns yeah. a lot. And they also ended up, like, some... Uh, abilities are not based on cooldown they're like it's like nova it takes from your shields so it kind of mm -hmm. like it meant to pair with charge in a way but so what i think method 2 does is it makes you more reliant on your squad mates than either either the other two games i think just because like you are you you have that universal cooldown so like you're working on combos more frequently than uh you certainly more than you were in one i think yeah, I that's suppose. true, yeah. I think. I think, like, because of those cooldowns, you do have to rely mm -hmm. on your teammates and be like, okay, well, I can't use Shockwave right, right now, but someone else can use Warp or something like right. that. Mm -hmm. But then Garrus is over there, and he's throwing his concussive blast already because he's all, like, gung-ho <laughs> about taking yeah. out one husk, and I'm like, Garrus! <laughs> I, <laughs> I, I love turn it I love bringing Morden with me just because I, I love the, the freezing power and the yeah. incineration. Um, and I just love his lines, too, when he's in battle of just, like, flammable or inflammable. Right. doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, you know, yeah, um, yeah he is, he's got some, some of the best battle lines. They did go out of their way to, like, kind of, like, instill a little more personality in your party members as they're fighting. Because, like, they do have, like, everyone has lines and, like, you know, things that they say about their... Uh, different powers where Mass Effect 1 characters were pretty much silent, short of a cutscene. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Kasumi has this absolutely evil laugh that she does when she's <laughs> oh, like, yes. Oh, yeah. yes. oh, I love Kasumi. She's my favorite. Kasumi's yeah, so she's good. she's great. It, like... it makes me very happy that, like, all of the DLC are included in the Legendary Edition yeah. because I think, like, like Ken was bringing up early, like earlier was just, like, there is this unified sense with the Legendary mm -hmm. Edition. And, mm. um... I think it's unfortunate that otherwise, like, you wouldn't meet Kasumi, right. um, for example. Or you wouldn't get to, you know, really dig into Liara, uh, you know, with the Lair of the Shadow Broker if you didn't have that DLC. So having that all there really, like, I would argue that Lair of the Shadow Broker should have been part of, you know, the main right. the main story to begin with, you know? <laughs> yeah. So it's such an important part of, of her character development and who she becomes uh, in Mass Effect 2 and specifically who she is in Mass Effect 3. Right. Did you find? How did you find this sort of order in which things are added? Because we we recorded After Dark the other day, and I found it really weird that Arrival is available mm -hmm. to play from like yeah two hours that is in. Weird. Yeah. yeah, but it's yeah, obviously great to have Zaid and Kasumi straight at the beginning because um, they were supposed to be in the game. They just ended up being cut for right. for time and mm -hmm. added as DLC. Yeah, but the but yeah. Having Hackett phone in and be like, "Oh, yo, right. you gotta go, you gotta go do this thing." And I was like, "Uh, yeah, right now, I, uh, right." And and I, I wrote about this on Fanbyte Period Com, where you can go check it out now. Um, so <laughs> this thing was was interesting to me as like a, a veteran player in the series is 
how are new people that have never played these games before supposed to understand like the context of the DLC in these games and like where they're supposed to fit in? Mm. Because like they like they kind of like added these things as they were in the original game because like after Horizons when you're supposed to be able to like access later the Shadow Broker arrival, so they just kind of like, throw them in there without any context and that is was a weird thing to me that I feel like honestly feels like an oversight in terms of like the the whole like bringing these games over process is that they didn't do, like signal in some way to everyone that those are not optional per se because I think like Mass Effect DLC is usually like meant to be like a segue into the next game um and like it's kind of like a Bioware thing that they do but um they don't like you know show it and like or present it to a player in a way where it's going to make sense for the plot because like oh I'm in the middle of like you know fighting collectors oh let me take this detour to uh help hack its friend or the the Liara stuff is especially weird to me because like if you can access Lyra the Shadow Broker in the first conversation you have have with her on Ilium, which will cancel out all of her actual main game side quests, and it's just like yeah, it just feels like an oversight, like something that like, you, I, like you know this is meant to be like for all you know we're all super fans we've all played these games before, but this is like an opportunity for people that did not play these games ten years ago to play them now, and it feels like there's just like a bit of like context there for like a moment in time where like huge story updates were just kind of, like, more uh, naturally woven into the main game. And, uh, like, without so much as, like, a, a label on the mission that says DLC or, like, a warning or anything. Yeah, it's it's weird. I can't imagine how you would... Because I mean, think even the way that it's presented in your sort of log as well, it's just kind of all mixed up in there. I mean, Arrival yeah. is not... is a secondary thing, so maybe that's the way they thought that people would... Right. But it's, it's also sec- just kind of overwhelming to have so much yeah. coming into your yeah. terminal. And I think it's it's worse when all of the DLC are there. I'm happy that you can play all the DLC and that, you know, that it's all included. But I agree that the pacing and stuff, like, there is no pacing. It's just all there. Right. Yeah. And it, it is weird, like, you know, you used to be able to just simply download the stuff off the Xbox store. And that would be like, okay, I've, I've hit the button. And I know that I have it, so I'm going into the game with the explicit, you know, desire to play this piece of DLC. But here, having it all there, especially, like, I think one of the weirdest things about Mass Effect 2 compared to the other two is that it does have um, that real sense of urgency, like we were talking about earlier. Like, there is, I mean, there are multiple points in this game that I was, like, thinking back on as I was getting ready to play through it. Where I was like, okay, I got to make sure that I don't do the reaper iff until a certain point in time because i know that starts a timer and so i've got to do all my stuff and i'll do reaper iff legion loyalty mission and mm-hmm. then i can go straight into the suicide mission and i'll be set and i'll have like the best possible outcome in regards to that but this game like if like Kim was saying if you're going into this fresh and you don't know all the minutia of how the little timers and mechanics work together yeah, you you get a call from Hackett. He's like, "Hey, we we need you to save somebody. You got to go do this now." And you're like, "Okay, well, I'm Commander Shepard, and I got to go save people. So I guess I'm jetting off to this planet." And it's you end up getting this piece of content that I, I'm sure they. I don't think I've ever played it before the suicide mission, but um, I'm sure there's probably some lines in there that contextualize it in that way. But it still just feels tonally strange, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Arrival specifically, I think, is just one of the standout ones. Because, like, it is presented to you in, like, a huge fucking, like, theatrical way of, like, 
you go up to your cabin, like like you're forced off of your laptop, and you go you go to your cabin, and then Hackett mm-hmm. comes up on a vid screen, and it's like, oh, this feels important. This must like, uh, you know, it would feel like the main plot had suddenly like mm-hmm. detoured yeah. in a different direction. Yeah, and it's weird too because um, I'm sure when we get to Mass Effect Three uh, with the next roundtable, we'll be talking about how like Mass Effect played a role in making loot crates a thing. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, but. Uh, as like that was one thing, but one thing I was when I was looking back at just you know what Mass Effect Two was when it launched, this was kind of the era of moving DLC from being the sort of horse armored Skyrim stuff to, oh we've got Lair of the Shadow Broker like this is a really big meaty piece of DLC that has a lot to it, and I think this plus other stuff like Minerva's Den uh, with Bio- Bioshock Two was Minerva's mm-hmm. yeah. Den yeah yeah. Um, like this stuff was what made people finally kind of come around on the idea of DLC and maybe even seeing it as sort of a revival of the expansion pack era from PCs and stuff like that, where you weren't just getting this cosmetic item, but you're getting a full mission that is, you know, robust and has cutscenes and has interesting, unique content in it. Uh, And now we're back to battle passes and cosmetics. So I guess time is a flat circle, but (laughs) (laughs) it's, um, that's, that's the, like the flip side of this is that I'm really glad the DLC is in here because the DLC for Mass Effect rules, like mm. it's, yeah. it's so core to the experience that having it in one package makes this game feel even more complete than it did the first time around. Totally. And it's like, it's, it's just nice that, I mean, I don't think anyone's mourning the Cerberus network. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I do, I, I do remember sort of the excitement of seeing a new thing popping up on right. the Cerberus network, and then you know, oh the, shit, yeah, that's right. The, the sadness of having to buy it all. But uh, I do appreciate <laughs> that it's all kind of together. So even if it's not kind of implemented in the same way, I am really glad that it's all there because some of that DLC mm-hmm. is, I yeah. mean, Lair of the Shadow Broker is just incredible, and I'd, mm-hmm. I'd like, yeah. and it's not that it I'm really even is. going out of my way to use all the different armors and stuff. But mm-hmm. it's just nice, nice to have them. They're there. It's just fucking cool. Uh, and like totally. Kasumi, like I mentioned Kasumi earlier, like she's, oh, I wish, I, I'm glad that she was integrated in some sense. Uh, I just wish there was more of her in like the, mm-hmm. the, the core mm-hmm. right. of yeah. the Mass Effect pantheon. I wish that too. Yeah. yeah. Because like her, her, her mission's cool. Like her DLC shit is dope because mm-hmm. it's different. And yeah. like in the sense that you, like her loyalty mission, you go to a gala and you're just like chilling on this. You're doing something that you you're just like walking around. It felt like a hitman mission in, yeah. in some weird yeah. way. For sure. Uh, yeah. yeah, it's like the the um, the opening mission to uh, for Hitman Three uh, was. I was like, oh shit, this this feels familiar. And I mm-hmm. <laughs> remember the gala, the <laughs> DLC or uh, Kasumi's DLC in Mass Effect Two. Um, and I think that she's such a fascinating character. And I think uh, someone wrote about this. Uh, was it? I don't want to say it was the wrong person, Natalie, or was it you, Elise, who wrote about Kasumi and like coming to terms with loss? Probably Uh, Natalie. Yeah. uh, Or sorry, if someone knows who that was, I don't want to like misattribute it, but uh, Mm -hmm. it made me think about that and really we're in a, in a different way Mm -hmm. Uh, because at the time I played, I'm like 19 years old. Like, "Ah, I don't know. I'm in college doing some bullshit (laughs) forever and I'm doing this dope ass DLC and Kasumi's Mm -hmm. really cool. Um, But now like, I mean, obviously, as we we are are all playing these games as we're like ten or something years older, it's just like that. That's I think that playing replaying Kasumi's DLC is like a microcosm of what it's like to. 
play Mass Effect as like a grown ass adult, uh, mm. as, as opposed to a young adult or a teenager. Mm-hmm. Um, mm. Yeah, and it, like you see a lot of you see a lot more, um, I guess, problematic shit like in the seams of it. But you also have uh, you also see a little bit more into like the deeper stuff. So mm. it kind of pulls you to both ends of the. Uh, of the of the spectrum in terms of how you feel it's like oh that shit that that was kind of problematic seems wild problematic now but also that shit that like that got me in my feelings back in the day like really fucking got me in my feelings now mm. um and i don't know if that that didn't have to really do with dlc but that's just uh <laughs> I, yeah that's just uh how i feel it's, it's really fucking weird yeah it is really interesting to go back to mass effect 2 after all these years and just see things through a different lens or just like I mean, I talked about Morden already, but even even just like smaller moments of, um, you know, Thane's loyalty mission mm-hmm. and him, you meet Mouse and they're talking about like, he basically says he used kids to help right. him, you know, mm-hmm. go after his targets for assassination, which is awful, right. <laughs> you know, <laughs> and he just like brushes it off like it's nothing. And yeah. I'm like, Thane, I love you, but that is some messed up shit. Mm. Um, yep. that I guess I didn't really, like, didn't click with me the first time or I didn't, like, pay attention enough to it. And there are little moments like that. And even, um, there's a lot of, like, narrative dissonance, too, which obviously is not uncommon for that time. But, mm-hmm. um, and even nowadays, of course. But, like, they're, like, doing the the loyalty mission with Garrus and, like, meeting up with Sidonis. Um, like there's this sense of like, well, why, why would Paragon Shepard be so committed to trying to save this right. person, this stranger's life, considering how many people we kill on a like day-to-day basis that we don't right. know who we don't know. It's like Mass Effect 2 tries to take so much time and space to understand people and understand different conflicts that these people have, um, that there is this strange sense of why does Shepard care so deeply about those things if we're able to just look at the Geth, kill them all, you know, Asari mm. commandos are coming at you, kill them all. It, mm. it doesn't make sense to me. Mm. Yeah, and a lot of that sort of, like, why does Shepard care often gets, like, it, it feels like it's kind of, like, being held down by the Paragon Renegade system and, like, what ideals they want Shepard to possibly have in this world. And I think Mephic, one of one of my, like, issues with Mass Effect 2 is, and I think they actually ended up fixing it for Legendary Edition, or like tweaking it enough to where I didn't run into it this time, was like they, they want you to commit to one side or the other, and they ended up mm-hmm. locking uh, like charm and intimidate options behind like percentage of decisions you've made uh, like up to that point in the game versus what you did one way or the other and I think like something that I, I struggled with a long time was um, they, they were so like stringent in that, that it felt like you weren't allowed to live in the nuance of like every situation the way yes. that you were in like Mass Effect One and Three, and um, so that was something that I did appreciate in Legendary Editions. They did like from like it made Mass Effect Two a general better role playing experience because I was allowed to like kind of like go back and forth between Paragon and Renegade without being punished for it, and um, so yeah, like it does get into the, those things where like you're able to be like, oh, this is different because of this, and I am allowed to have this stance and why this is different, and you know present the game with what my feelings on it without it ever being like, oh, no, you have to stick to one role. You have to stick to being this Boy Scout or you'd want, or you need to, like, be really up service of that, like, really siding with the, the human exceptionalism and 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, so mm-hmm. I did very much appreciate that in Legendary Edition. That was a, like one of my major gripes with this game. That has kind of like kept it as my least favorite for a long time. Um, that was glad that they went out of their way to change up this time. I want to issue it a, cor- a correction. Uh, Andrea Sharon from The Gamer is the one who wrote about uh, Kasumi and coming to terms with loss and grief. Uh, so I want to give a shout out to her. Uh, my bad that. that I didn't. Yeah, I, my bad I didn't remember that the first time. Uh, also, uh, I still need to talk to her about near replicant but uh shouts out to you <laughs> um on, on that note though like so one of the things that i really liked about mass effect 2 compared to mass effect 1 and 3 is that because we're doing the side story and it's not involved with the reaper stuff as much and it's not like you know galactic st- scale conflict like you're you're kind of honestly I, I compare this to to stuff like Seven Samurai and and Thirteen Assassins and stuff like that. You know the movies where you have this band of you know various different people from different backgrounds that are coming together for one mission, and it always kind of ends on a note of like the world is going to keep moving, and they may have lost a lot today, but it's everything is going to keep moving on, you know, regardless. And there's like this weird feeling of like galactic apathy (laughs) at the end of this. Mm -hmm. Like you do feel Mm -hmm. like you've done something, but especially if you lose people in the suicide mission, it feels like, okay, you know, we, we did the job we were supposed to do, but is the galaxy ever going to care as much about the people that we lost in the suicide mission as they do like, you know, in mass effect one or in mass effect three, where they get memorials and stuff like that. Mm. Um, But I think because of that, you're also spending a lot more time dealing with personal conflicts and with, Yes. like people mm-hmm. instead of being the shepherd that comes in and makes decisions for entire races and nations and planets right. and stuff like that. <laughs> yeah. Um, and like the, the one, and, and this got me a lot when we were doing our, our first run of the mass effect playthrough uh, and it hit just as hard this time around too, but the Samara loyalty mission um, mm-hmm. specifically the part like before you ever even meet Morinth and you're just tracking Morinth and you're talking to the mother of uh, the girl that Morinth has Ardot Yakshid um, yeah. it is genuinely heartbreaking mm. and it even felt weird playing that mission now because in my current Legendary Edition uh, playthrough I'm playing a male ship because I want to do the Tali Romance I've never done the Tali Romance and it's very good it's very good y'all <laughs> but um, that one felt weird because when I played it for Norm DFM the first time around I was playing Femship and it felt like such an interesting exploration of you know, like what it was, what Samara was going through with losing a daughter and that she was having to, to help someone else through it while knowing that she was going to have to undertake that herself and, and literally kill her own daughter. And there's like, Samara is a really, really good character that I feel we don't talk about often enough. And as I played mm-hmm. through the loyalty mission, I was just like, man, this, this hits, this is mm-hmm. hard mm-hmm. stuff. And, and in other games, you know, you go to Pharos and you're making a decision about, you know, how are we going to save the colonists or not? And that's really good. But then you go to Novaria. It's like, okay, do we save the Rachni? Do we make this galaxy changing decision? And you go to Mass Effect 3. It's, you know, do we cure the genophage? And it's, those are all very good, you know, arcs that the series is bringing conclusions to, but it's not at that personal scale that I think Mass Effect 2 nails. Like you are really dealing with individual people's problems and what it means to be a person in this galaxy and not to be 
you know, a species or a nation or, or a planet in this, in this galaxy. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, I think that, um, I think you saying that and also thinking about this, this particular game deep, deeper nowadays kind of like puts that at the forefront for me. Cause like I said earlier, it's like that, that JRPG vibe where it's about personal relationships and the power Mm -hmm. of friendship and whatever the fuck. Um, and yeah, that the like I said, that's the thing I remember most. And yeah, it, like it, obviously, loyalty missions are going to be a very personal thing. But then I do think about like Garrus's like helping Garrus make a very big decision. Like no one's gonna remember that in the galaxy whether he uh, uh, fuck, it's like he shoots that 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 one dude Sidonis. or not or Sidonis. yeah yeah whether like shoots him or not or whatever like whether or not you resolve shit with Miranda's sister or mm-hmm. um, all these other things are just like so inconsequential to what you think Mass Effect is but they matter so much more as to you as the player um, and I, I just I like that it the, the, the trilogy took a break from I mean obviously there's still huge stakes uh, at hand obviously but uh, to get there it's like hey we need to take care of ourselves too mm. uh, and uh and I think like each loyalty mission, like each one hits different. Or there's obviously like, a connecting theme of family and um, resolving relationships, obviously with like Thane and like I said, Miranda and all all the, all the other squad mates. And yeah, it's like it it took a necessary break. You can't have galaxy-ending consequences all the time. And uh, I think they 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 took the time to do that, and they ex- they used that time extremely well. I just yeah some of the those loyalty missions are just uh really really good mm-hmm. uh, yeah man and even like understand like grunt is such a such a fascinating thing to mm-hmm. our character to have to kind of contextualize uh who like who rex is and who the krogan are because mm-hmm. uh, I, I mean obviously at first you're just like oh they're aggressive and they're big and they want to kill things because they've been uh fucked over by uh by the genophage and all that sort of stuff but um yeah he's a vessel to kind of uh to see who the krogan are and uh, obviously like thane like you never know who drell are and legion you never know who the really who what geth what it means to be geth uh and like you mentioned samara is uh wildly underrated it's just all these different uh personal stories and even even when you go places too uh, like especially when you go to Omega yes. and uh, like learning about Arya Tolok and the mm-hmm. the culture of Omega and why it exists and why people gravitate towards Omega and why it's just like a fucking uh, criminal hellscape. Um, like all these things just feel a lot more focused in on uh, people and culture and who they are. Because mm. uh, yeah, because like as you do the loyalty missions for your different squad mates who are different species, it's also uh, like you. Obviously, in, fir- in the first game, you have the codex. You have people telling you about, oh, the the Hanar are this, and then the Volus are this. But uh, to actually experience firsthand, uh, like the consequences of diving into those specific cultures and species and their histories and all this shit, it's a uh, yeah, it, it's such a necessary thing, I think. Yeah, I I feel like Mass Effect One does that very well, but a lot of it feels very optional and i mean you could say the same for mass effect 2 of like digging into dialogue options a lot of that is is optional but there's this sense of um you know there there's so much there's so much to digest in mass effect 1 that you don't have to digest Mm -hmm. 
But then in Mass Effect 2, I feel like you want to digest it because it finally gives you a reason to care because right. of those yeah. personal stakes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's why the, the suicide mission is, I think, as memorable is because you spend your entire game getting to know these characters as as people and i think one of the really important things that is about this game is where it's like you kind of get a broad overview of what say the drell are what the asari are the only real i don't know like the the most you kind of know about the asari as coming into mass effect 2 is what you've learned is having from having liara as a squad mate i don't even think the justicar and the ardat yakshi are really mentioned at all Mm. if i mean if they are in mass effect 1 it must be like a very brief mention and so when you come into mass effect 2 you're kind of delving into and like i said before the thing i love most about mass effect is this history and you know i think even one that it's just even background dialogue i was on ilium earlier today actually uh playing mass effect 2 and there's you know oh, the salary thank you the salarian <laughs> having the bachelor party and he's no. talking about how oh salarians don't even get married really we don't get turned on like this we have a reproductive Damn, contract salarians then, don't fuck and then and then you know every and then you know the turian's there and he's just like i'm here for the free drinks and the the humans are the horny ones and you know that conversation yeah, yeah. just provides so much more insight into the rest of the galaxy like you have that mini side quest where you're finding um basically the family tree for a salarian family and he right. explains right. to you that that is so important in salarian culture because it can you know ruin the family for generations if he doesn't have that and so it's just really interesting to have those little aspects of the races beyond what we kind of already knew about them going into mass effect 2 mm. i think with yeah. the krogan my favorite one is one that i completely forgotten about it's a very inconsequential thing where you uh you kind of upload shipping logs to someone and then you go back to ilium and one of the, like the most polite Krogan, I think, oh in, in God, the entire yes. game, just goes, "Hello, excuse me, did you uh, upload this?" I love him. I love him, and he's just such <laughs> a non-character, but like in the grand scheme of things, but he's a different aspect to what we've been told about the Krogan. It's the, it's just very cool I, that they spent more time on stuff like that in Mass Effect. Mm, also... They spend so much time on just like little moments that you could mm -hmm. absolutely ignore. You know, like that bachelor party is such a good example. Like, but it, you want to stop and listen, you know? And yeah. I think that is because of your crew a lot of the time. It's like, well, I want to know Tally better. I want to hear why, you know, they get sick or, you know, <laughs> like what those kind of, or maybe I want to date her and like, oh, I guess I shouldn't ask her about her, you know, her helmet or whatever. Like it's, yeah, it, it, it's just done. It's done so well. And like, <laughs> there are so many people that you meet um, that are inconsequential to the larger arc of the story. Mm -hmm. yet um they're still memorable um and even there's like funny occasions too right with uh i think it was samara's recruitment mission mm. with that that one volus who's just i have a biotic god. god you know like it's it's hilarious um has some like serious undertones to it i guess but as well you know and you can choose whether to save his life or not kind of thing but they're like it's like who is he well he's like i don't know he's just that one he's one character in so many that you can care about for for five minutes right yeah and uh also the there's a bartender an asari bartender yeah. on yeah. ilium oh, 
and I think love like the bartender. Yeah, yeah, we we like we know so much about the Asari in like a broad context, like we mentioned. But uh, I think if I recall correctly, like talking to her kind of grounds uh, like what it's like to live as an Asari for like fucking thousand years or whatever. Mm-hmm. And just like kind of having that that real that real context of like um, of like what uh, coming to age is for Inasari because mm. it's a really weird concept to think about when you live for that long. Uh, so yeah, and it's yeah, it's like that. That's not necessarily tied to the the broader uh, like main quest or like what ends up happening at towards the end of the game. But it's just uh, yeah, there's so much flavor uh, added uh, on the sides that that. Yeah, humanizes a lot of the. Um, sorry, I mean, humanize might be a little. Uh, <laughs> That's a loaded term. Pres- yeah, presumptuous. <laughs> in, yeah, in, in a yeah. galaxy of very different species, but the con- the concept of humanization is very much present in two. Oh, I think sure. more so, more so than I think any other, uh, than one or three. And uh, so, yeah, sh- mm. shouts out to that. Yeah, that that bartender's response to what it's like to live for a thousand years is mm-hmm. violent, and that yes. <laughs> that stuck with me a lot. Yeah, mm. and who who the bartender ends up being by the end, if, if I'm correct about that, Ken? Yeah, you I'm are. Pretty, yeah. yeah, yeah. Who she ends up being is is fantastic. Yep. Oh. <laughs> that that blew my mind. I played Mass Effect so many times, and I never knew that that's you know spoilers for if you go delving into this in Mass Effect 3, but that that's Liara's, one of, one of Liara's parents. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's wild. <laughs> yeah. This, yeah. this game has layers and like on Alien 2, uh, literally across that area from the bartender, there's like a Krogan who's reciting poetry to try and oh, yeah. uh, romance this, this yeah. sorry. And oh, but yeah. the line that she has where you're, you're talking to her and you can try and convince her to, you know, actually give this dude a chance. Um, and she says something that's like, he really wants children. And I don't think he understands that they will not be Krogan. And, um, and she says, like, I tried explaining this to him and his response was just, I'll love them no matter, you know, what species they are, no matter what, you know, alien they are. And I was just like, this is really nice. This is all yeah. really nice. Like yeah. this, there's little moments in this game that I think I always forget about because, uh, as Mass Effect goes on, it just gets more and more action heavy. It gets more and more, um, you know bombastic a word that i hate um but it's it it gets like larger and grander and more things blow up and and more stuff is happening and certainly when we're playing these missions you know like you have zaid's loyalty mission you have like the reaper iff where you just kind of blow things up all the time there's always stuff going down Mm -hmm. but mass effect 2 does take time to slow down a little bit and i think it Mm -hmm. it sticks out a lot when it does if i um... um if I can jump in there, though, to like maybe yeah, shift yeah. to something that is maybe more negative, something that is more critical, that I've probably one of my biggest issues with Mass Effect 2 is, like, we are talking a lot about all these characters that we meet across Mass Effect 2. Uh, I think what is interesting to me is that the conversation of Mass Effect 2 so rarely circles back around to Shepard and, like, the person, because it has always been weird to me that, like, that character dies and comes back, never gets a chance to reckon with that. This is always about, like, Shepard, mm-hmm. like solving everybody else's problems and you know this is a character that like has already seen death but is now facing a possible suicide mission and like never has a time to grapple with that on their own and i feel like 
to some extent that it is so they can um you know let the let the player have the, the role and because I think by and large Mass Effect Two is probably the one where Shepard feels the least defined by the plot and I don't know that's always necessarily for the good because I just kind of feel like Shepard's role in it is symbolic almost like the elusive man like wants Shepard back alive because they are you know a, a, a symbol for humanity and like a, a symbol of like the pinnacle of whatever we are capable of accomplishing but. Um, for like such a personal game, I feel like the protagonist is the one that is not getting the same sort of uh, care that I think everybody else is, and I think like Mass Effect Three really like corrects that in a way, and like Mace Shepard like live the, like the reality is what they're doing, but it's always been a struggle for me that I don't feel like Shepard is given the same. I don't know they they're given the same care as everybody else, and I think that shows up in a lot of ways. Like they're really I. I mean, this might be controversial depending based on people that are in the room, but like, I feel like their relationships are like so like the like one dimensional in a lot of these cases. Like the the romance in Mass Effect Two, I think, is an all time low for the series. It is what it is like what people think Mass Effect romance is because the majority of them are like sloppy <laughs> hookups. Because like, oh, we're going on a suicide <laughs> mission. We better fuck like just in case. Um, and I feel like you know there are there are exceptions. Like I think the Thane and the Jack romances in particular, like those are very meaningful. Like they like, show growth in, like, the characters that are involved, but, like, the Garrus relationship is one of the fucking worst romantic subplots I've ever seen by a right? Like, it is literally, like, these two characters that should have this really deep connection with each other after, like, going on two, like, you know, really high-risk missions. But, like, they... All they ever say is the fucking reach and flexibility shit. And that's, like... I don't know, like, it's it's always been something that, that like... For all of the, the great character moments, like, it is weird to look back at Mass Effect 2 and realize just Shepard is a brick for the majority of it. Even when they, yeah. sh- they have all these reasons that they should be like confronting the realities of everything they've been through and everything that they are going to go through. Yeah. I, d- I definitely, f- I feel you on that now that you pointed mm-hmm. out. Cause like the, the only real, I guess the only real times we see Shepard at the center of like some sort of development is always through Cerberus and the elusive man. Mm-hmm. And, like that's like that's necessary obviously to build the stakes and establish the stakes of the core plot but that also leaves uh shepherd as the character kind of hanging in that like uh well man like i don't want to always i don't want to always be defined by the elusive man because mm. i'll knock that motherfucker in their face like yeah. fuck the elusive man but and it is a little disappointing now that you point out that um yeah, that, that's the only time that Shepard is really uh, at the center of these sort of character moments. But, um, yeah, I mean, damn. I hate to see it. Yeah. I'd, mean, say yeah. There's, I'd say there's it, other it, times when you're talking to, like, Mass Effect 1 characters, specifically, like, when you meet up with Rex on Tachanka or when you talk to Anderson uh, on the Citadel that you do kind of get to explore what it means that, that Shepard's yeah. been gone for so long. But um, certainly not also, to sh- level sh- sh- Shouts out to Dr. Chakwas, right? She's she's oh, on yes. yeah. Oh my god. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's my, my girl. girl. Yo. <laughs> yeah. Hell yeah. Once again, Chakwas is undefeated. Um yeah. but yeah, I, I would agree with some of I'm also gonna say that the Tali romance is really, really good. So I think I think Ken, you just have beef with, with the Garrus romance. <laughs> I mean as someone as someone who romances Garrus too many times, like now that you've pointed it out, I totally see it. But at the same time, he will always have my right. 
and that's but you, yeah. and that that is what like one thing that I will give Mass Effect Two. It's like it feels like a second foundational thing in a more like if Mass Effect One is like world building foundation, Mass Effect Two is like relationship building foundation. Because I think yeah, with the exception yeah. of like fucking like poor Jacob, because Bioware did that man dirty. Like the prize, yeah, and oh. that, and then like, wow. and then like the prize is apparently not good enough to stick around in the next game. Like all this shit. Yeah. Like, but like, I feel like the payoff in three, in terms of the majority of the relationships, and I think Citadel kind of like cleans up a little bit more of those too. But uh, like, it does. But like, that is some, in my review, that is a live on film. I'm gonna plug everything I fucking wrote in the past like. <laughs> um, I talk about like how, in some ways, a lot of like these things, it feels almost like missing the forest for the trees to, like, single in on one game's uh, sort of ex- exploration of these things, because it feels like the trilogy cohesively, as, like, one one singular work, is able to yeah. work with all of these in a better way. Um, and yeah. so, like, even if they get a romance in Mass Effect 2 is, like, I seriously, like, one of the worst things I've ever seen in terms of romance writing out of Bioware. The Mass Effect 3 romance with Garrus is fucking stellar. Like, yeah. one of the best in that game, I think. Aw, yeah. yeah. I think it's different kinds of romances too though because there is a part of me that's like i dig that it's just shepherd and garris like looking at each other and being like huh you know could be about to die and we could just go upstairs real quick <laughs> like damn I, I garris kind just of, sees right. you as a nut bust you hate to see it <laughs> well i mean i mean but yeah it's like it's two people that have like gone through a lot of shit together and they're like well we're probably gonna die probably want to have a little bit of fun before we go die like why not you know it's I think it's almost reflective of the stakes in this where like, I think especially if this is a foundational game, it's okay to have a relationship that starts on such tenuous shaky ground because not every relationship is going to start so romantically and have like wooing and all that. And I think Tali's romance is almost the same way where you just kind of stumble into it and she like, she has this whole thing where she's just tripping over herself because she she references like oh you know i've never really shared a suit environment with anyone there's not really any uh quarians i'd want to do it with there is one person actually wait never mind no forget i said that and like she starts tripping over herself and you have to kind of press her a little bit not that was the thing that was weird to me coming off of Mass Effect 1 where the game is pretty much throwing romance at you from the beginning where they're just like, hey, here's Liara, go romance her, go romance Liara. Um, with this one, I felt like there were certain romances that you had to chase a little bit and you had to want to actively pursue having a deeper relationship with this character. And I, I think I'm okay with it being a little shaky and, and rough certainly the writing could maybe be a little bit different, but um, I'm okay with it being not, you know, the perfect romantic getaway, <laughs> you know, yeah. Shepard's yeah, about, yeah, about to go die that. on a collector base <laughs> potentially. <laughs> I, I do find it like a little bit frustrating how like when you do invest in like these characters, for example, like Jacob, like who mm. I do not ever, I have no interest in dating J- Jacob yet. Somehow that conversation still sort of comes up. Where it's yeah. just, he's, you know, it's just like, oh, like you can ask, like, are you single? It's like, no, I, I don't want to ask that, but I still want to do the Paragon option, you know? <laughs> um, like, I find that sort of frustrating. And the mm. only time the game, like, I, at least I feel like the game kind of does it well is with Morden, where like it, it almost feels like it's, it's, it's joking. Like it's almost like making fun of the whole thing where it's, I don't know. I don't know if anyone else got that vibe where like, 
Morden turns you down, obviously, yep. even though if you're not interested, but he's just like, yeah, like, I, I don't want that. I don't care about that. Like, I, you know, I, I'm, I'm a Solarian and that doesn't, <laughs> I don't care about that. But like, never I don't know. It almost Morden. feels like it, it feels like it, it's poking fun of a right. system too. Yeah. That, yeah. that is something that I'd rather, and like, Eric, I don't, uh, if you have, for anyone who has never not romance somebody in Mass Effect 2, what happens if you do are actively avoiding romance and like you don't have one locked in and the the conversation that would have normally been Morden's uh, sex advice conversation is replaced with one where he's like, Oh, I've noticed you come come by a lot. Um just want you to know let you know I'm not interested in Solarians so don't have a sex drive really. And but if I wanted to try a human, I would try you. And which is, you know, like like, like, like it is kind of like acknowledging like, oh, some of these game times these games are like, oh, a character has like you've spoken to a character enough times, so now they're like starting to wonder. And yeah. So it does like it it does take that sort of uh, issue that I think these games have and uh makes it funny and like makes it something that it can be like kind of levity in in conversations that typically annoy me because like you can't like as, as playing as a male shepherd like you can't get through tally and jack's conversations like all of them without the conversation of romance coming up in some way mm. and that is just something i'm like i yep. like that's not like you are not what i'm interested in and that is something that um also like i guess it, it is time for my uh, obligatory point is out mass effect 2 doubles and triples down on Mass Effect 1's heteronormative bullshit. Um, and I think yeah. that is something that is always going to, like, I mean, other than all my other issues, I think that's one of the reasons it's always going to be on the lowest lowest ranking for me is just because, like, it's not even, like... Because it's, like, saying that all the things they did in Mass Effect 1 in terms of, like, not allowing, like, you to have a gay romance Caden or um, even, like, acknowledging that men have sex with men in any way, shape, or form. Mass Effect 2 finally does that in, a, in the form of a prison rape joke. It has only female romances for men. The only queer romance on the Normandy is Kelly fucking Chambers, that is, like, which is, like, mm. has no substance. It's, like, very clearly, like, catering to men who play female protagonists and then choose the, yeah. the queer relationship. Um, mm. And then there's shit like the Morinth, uh thing where like, and well, granted this didn't, this might not be an issue now that they've scaled the charm and intimidate shit differently. Like, your potentially gay shepherd can succumb to Morinth's bullshit, and I mean like not not in terms of like going all the way in the relationship, but like when it comes to like the charm and intimidate checks, you can be locked out of those regardless of like whether anything that this woman did would like possibly whatever. Um, so it's just like. You, like you made all these mistakes in one, and then you just like really doubled down on it. And I feel, feel like it is kind of indicative of Mass Effect Two coming out at a very particular point where certain demographics were being prioritized over others. And I do think, by and large, three is sort of a make good. Like I think that the two gay relationships yeah. in that game mm-hmm. are among the most substantial. And um, mm-hmm. so, like I, I mean, yeah, Keen from the gamer has been doing great work like talking to mm. modders right. who have kind yeah. of found yeah. the audio files uh yeah. from the same sex romances that were cut and it was that fox that fucking right. fox yep. report right yeah. that scared them yeah. so much that they mm-hmm. they kind of like peeled back uh paired back on stuff uh, especially mm-hmm. with mass Effect 2 and it's such a shame but like god how yeah. can fox do that like it's it was so stupid i went back and watched it again recently yeah Um, it's a wild thing oh yeah being being british like we didn't have it and obviously i I kind of came to mass effect a bit late and so it completely passed me by and i eventually finally watched it and like jeff Keeley does an admirable (laughs) job against ridiculous odds um Mm -hmm. 
and yeah, it just I to be a fly on the wall at Bioware when they right. were trying, mm-hmm. you know, when that came out. But yeah. yeah, obviously it is still disappointing that they didn't they didn't try and do it for Mass Effect Two. Yeah, and yeah. like they're even converse. We've talked about this on the podcast so many times. I feel like I bring it up every time we talk about this. But like, Jack literally has a conversation where she talks about like sharing a bed with a pirate couple and like oh they invited me into their ship they invited me into their bed and like it's like literal you know air traffic controller pointing down the plane like right here this character (laughs) is bisexual this character (laughs) ran a triz you love to see it yeah and it's like but then it's you play femchev and it's like oh no you don't get to romance her because fox and it's oh at least you know, God bless the modders that are out there. I was seeing some folks even talk about the idea of using like AI learning to listen to all of the voice acting lines in all the oh, mass effects shit. to try and recreate what those lines would be in those voice actors' voices. And normally I get really <laughs> skeeved out by that like hologram <laughs> stuff and all that. But in this yeah. specific case, maybe <laughs> we make an exception. <laughs> Oh, just this once <laughs> yeah damn oh. yeah it's 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 just fascinating to think about because at the time i was playing the game i mean i'm still you know your um your basic ass uh cis, cishet man and mm-hmm. i romanced uh, miranda because i was like you know i'm basic i know it's fine i want to smash a great character <laughs> yeah she's she's a great character and i think like that that felt like a natural romance to me at least from what i can remember mm-hmm. um uh, <laughs> I, I that was... ass, bro. You know what I'm saying? Like, I ain't gonna lie, bro. Like, listen, we got me rubbing my hands like Birdman and shit. But, uh, but yeah, it's. I think that now, I like. I wouldn't do that nowadays because I'm much more fascinated in exploring di- how games can be different and cater to different uh, types of romances, different types of people. And mm. I think like uh, queer romances are so fascinating to me because it's, it, it it's it's. To, to see how a game can pull it off uh, and uh, I think that it, it makes me very happy to see those kinds of things represented in the game like uh, especially like kind of kind of a tangent but you know that the, in Final Fantasy 7 remake uh, the whole honeybee mm-hmm. end scene like I got like real emotional in the sense that these are I'm seeing characters who are unafraid of being themselves right. and mm-hmm. I think that's the thing that got to me and I remember I think uh, Ken Kenneth you wrote about that uh, in, in great detail, uh, yeah, yeah, in, in great detail. And I remember reading about it uh, from you and various other people, and kind of coming to understand what it's like to see those things, like the complications of how it makes you feel, and where like maybe it, it falls short, and all mm-hmm. those other things. But at the end of the day, it's like seeing uh, things like that representing like yourself in games. And I also pay attention to this when it comes to racial identity. Mm-hmm. It's just mm-hmm. I don't know, man. Mm-hmm. Like. It's it's sad to think about that what of what could have been because that's that could be that can be such a powerful thing. So yeah, uh, like, but yeah. like playing Mass Effect One, like I was still in the closet at that point, and I'd ro- I was romancing Liara, and that was actually like a huge part of why like I had I felt like I had the courage to come out, mm. and yeah. I feel like that is such a it's such a a good romance because or it was for me at least because it seemed like romance was new to her it was new to me and it was kind of like we were both exploring unexplored territory Mm -hmm. so i felt like she got that and i got that um and that's why i think i was so disappointed at first going into mass effect 2 being like 
where is she? Right. Like, mm. we're going, we're figuring <laughs> yeah. this out together, you know? We need to keep figuring this out together. Um, and, I, like, I love Thane. Like, I ended up falling for Thane, but that was absolutely because of Liara's absence, right. you know? Mm-hmm. Damn, Thane was the, was the was the was the backup. Yeah, you hate I know, to see it, but I, know. I get I I, I get can't it. believe I just said that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I love uh, Thane. I love him so much, but he was yeah. absolutely like my second pick. I mean, Drell lived for like what forty years, and, <laughs> and he lives uh, less than that. Yeah, yeah. And Asari lived for a thousand years, so you know you 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 playing the game. But that's I was talking about this in in our Mass Effect One roundtable too. But like the idea that. Mass Effect because of how it carries over Shepherds and stuff like that. Like Liara is a three game romance, you know, and, and the idea that you have a section that until Lair of the Shadow Broker came out, you were essentially apart. Like you were at best a long distance relationship and you were having to either work through that or kind of come to terms with what that meant for where both of you were and then come back and assess it in Mass Effect three. Like yeah. I think the more that you diversify the romance, the more that you open it up to different things that aren't just, you know, very typical, like I'm a hot dude and you're a hot lady and let's romance. <laughs> like that's the more you open that lens up and see more experiences and bring in more ideas, the better the writing gets, mm. the better these romances get. Mm. Uh, and, and they may not all essentially be like relatable to you personally, but they are something that you can, relate to and understand and empathize with and find a lot to enjoy in like yeah for me like my canon romance is still liara because i love that whole like three game long romance because you Mm. don't get those in video games ever like the idea that a relationship lasts longer than a single game but i'm finding new stuff to love about the tally romance and i still like i have not played this one yet but i'd love to do the thane romance at some point because it seems like it'd be really good especially when three comes around and gets really emotional uh, so yeah <laughs> yeah it's it's amazing um i think one thing we have not talked about yet as as we were looking at, at possibly you know an endpoint to this roundtable discussion but we've not really talked about the suicide mission yet um oh sure Ooh. and i i'm curious i mean i think i know the answer to this already but you know this was a huge thing when it came out you know, back then, I remember people were just like, oh, the suicide mission. Oh, you got you, can you save everyone who died? Who died in your suicide mission? We now have like years of distance. We have walkthroughs and guides. We understand the numbers behind it. We understand the math. I'm, I imagine everyone here has like internalized who the best choices are for every option and all that. Does it still hold up in that context for y'all? Is it still like that big crowning moment of Mass Effect Two? Uh, I th- I think so. I, I think, think that so. even yeah, even though like time has passed and like you start to peel down the layers of like how it gets pulled off, it's still like fascinating that this is this is a thing because the 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 purpose it serves it, it's that's still intact of building consequence and uh, and stakes and you know I mean it's. Obviously, like you said, it's a lot easier to kind of have the best outcome because everyone talks about it and everyone kind of knows about it. But I think that you can still look at it from when it was first introduced back in 2010 and still like hold that as like this was a moment in Mm. games where like a huge uh, like a franchise that is all about a role playing franchise like actually had 
consequences for your choices in which shit can go sideways. Mm. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. of course, like you're going to finish the mission and you're going to like save uh, or you're going to destroy a collector base and all sorts of shit. Um, like that's always constant. But like what at, what you lose along the way is such a powerful thing, because I think I mean this and this is kind of like why I like near so much uh, is because it's not afraid of giving you uh, like sad endings or like having. Like when games just end too cleanly, mm-hmm. like I, you know, like I'm I'm happy that everyone's still alive and we all came out clean in the end, uh, and I, f- I feel like a lot of JRPGs do that, um, but I think with Mass Effect Two is like you can have dire consequences at the end, and I like that. I like when games take that risk, mm-hmm. and like I said, like Near does that where it's yeah. nothing is clean uh, at the end of that game, mm-hmm. um, whether it's uh, Automata or Replicant, and the same thing is possible in Mass Effect 2. And I think the spectacle is such, uh, like, whether or not you understand the numbers behind it, the spectacle of switching between the different parties. I fucking, yo, this is, like, some of my favorite shit in party-based RPGs is when you get to play as all the squad members in, like, a a specific span. And and I was going to say something about a game that came out recently, but I'm not going to say it because this isn't about that game. But when you're able to, like, okay, this... Team A over here with Shepard and whoever the fuck mm-hmm. is going to do this thing, and Team B is going to do this thing, and Team C is going to go here and do this. It 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 helps because you always have to choose your party members when you go out and venture into missions. And like I have my favorites, uh, and I also I want to mix in um, different party members at certain times because I want to play as them. Uh, but I always have, I always got Garrus by my side. Like oh, nine times out of ten, all right, Garrus is one of them, so that's one boy. But when you're when you're forced to play as the different characters and then uh, you get to see things through their perspective uh, all in service of this one goal it makes it makes that party dynamic feel so full and I love that about the suicide mission Uh, I wish more games would do that like force you to play as all the party members uh, especially as you lead into the end and like I don't know. It's it's one of those things where I'm playing through it and I'm get very reflective of I remember I had like Samara putting up the sh- big ass shield mm. in that one section mm. to protect everyone and I'm like, "Yo, Samara's been through so much shit." And that's all the shit and uh like hoping that like Thane makes it through the vents or whatever and I'm just like really really tense about, "Did I make the right choice? Did I like mm. you know, did I yeah. I did his loyalty mission, but was it enough?" and just like worrying about about everyone's right. fate is such a powerful thing. Uh and I'll never forget that about Mass Effect 2. Um, so, yeah, I think that it still holds up. And maybe first-timers who play it today might be like, okay, I'm gonna, everyone's going to get out fine because I know the calculations behind it. But nothing can ever take away that feeling of worrying right. that about my time. whole squad. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. that first time. And yeah. just like being able to play as them, everyone in that moment was so fucking cool. Yeah, I, I think, like, because no matter how many times I play... Mass Effect 2, I'm always so hesitant to deliberately lose anyone mm-hmm. because too. I just I just want everyone to make it because I think that's one really special thing about the suicide mission is that the feeling of accomplishment you get mm. when you hear that, you know, the first team made it back or you've saved the crew and, you know, you're hoping that Chakras and uh, Kelly made it off okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the my favorite things about 
the suicide mission beyond what michael was saying is uh the music absolutely rips like yep. that oh, song yeah. yep. is yeah. so good yep. and yeah and i can listen to it in any context and it would just get me hyped up it's so good <laughs> yeah. yeah i'm i'm very excited to play the suicide mission again because i'm not at that point yet and i'm really wondering if it will hit differently now that i know all the you know combinations mm. and there's all those walkthroughs out there so um but yeah i think you're all right like it really nails that sense of that sense of tension mm. because of that uncertainty right yeah i don't think anything can like really replicate what it feels like to go through it the first time and because I, I, mm. I have distinct memories of like being in my dad's living room at like 17 and shaking like literally shaking and with my controller like as i was sending people off to do their shit and um yeah it's yeah. uh it is one of like the single instances in the series that i think that best you know encapsulates like choice and consequence but it also like something about it that is maybe just like with time and like seeing how people talk about games and like um conversations that sprout up around them if there is part of me that doesn't feel like it still hits me the same way shit like Morden's death in Mass Effect 3 does, or Thanes, like things that I can't mm. stop, things that are like I yeah. am always going to have to just live with. Like I'm going to have to make a decision and live with the consequences, and not everybody's going to be able to get it alive. And I think that is largely in line with how Mass Effect trilogy has been, because like even major uh, decisions like Vermeer and uh, what what you do with the Council at the end of that game, like there, Mass Effect has always really been more to me about less about a game of like gaming the system and like trying to get the be- quote unquote best possible outcome, and just you know. Like making making a decision, standing by it, whether it plays out or not, and it and it, again something I wrote on fanbyte.com that you can go read now. <laughs> There's part of me that like always feels like I feel like the suicide mission almost misconstrues what Mass Effect is about in terms of mm. choice and consequence because I feel like it has set an expectation in some people's minds that like there is that these are numbers games that you can game and like there's a walkthrough out there to get you like the totally. least objectionable outcome and that even, like, you know, goes into conversations that we have about the end of Mass Effect 3. Like, people are looking for, like, what is the canon choice? What is the right choice? And mm. as much as I think that, like, as a standalone thing, the suicide mission is this really incredible thing, when it comes to how it, the place that it holds in terms of the larger series, it is always, it is more in the past few years or so become something that I don't, admire in the same way that I do things that I have to live with instead of things that I can know the right answers for. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like there's a certain finality to deaths that are out of your control. Right. Mm -hmm. I think that's the major difference for me is, you know, those scripted kind of deaths, Mm -hmm. like, like you're talking about Thane and Morden, they hit because you know, no matter what, you couldn't have done anything to save them. Right. So there's a there's a different sense with a suicide mission where it's like, well, I could have done things differently, you know, and I can still like mm-hmm. I can go back. I can go back to an earlier save, which, frankly, I did the first time because I messed up, you know, um, and people will do that. Yeah, yeah there, there are definitely people that treat it, you know, like they're playing Fire Emblem and they're like, OK, well, I picked the wrong person to lead that team. So the person in the vents died. So now I'm just going to roll it back and start it over. And I think that's always going to be a problem when when you offer that sort of like choice based consequence is that you know if the binary is somebody lives or somebody dies um people are always going to try and choose the option that Mm -hmm. will let people live Mm -hmm. and 
I think because of that, it also leads into some criticisms of Mass Effect 3 that have not held up over time because, you know, I've, I've heard people complain that like, oh, choices don't matter and stuff like that. It's like, no, they do. It's just you've like deliberately crafted one where you can get the best outcome. Like mm. you're not going to have the scene where Grunt doesn't make it off the planet in Mass Effect 3 because you already went ahead and did his loyalty mission in Mass Effect 2 mm. and you you got him out of the suicide mission. Like you got the best possible outcome there. So you're going to get the best possible outcome in Mass Effect 3. And you don't see that there are actually multiple ways that that can play out. Um, right. Perception but, is reality. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I think on the flip side, like when we think about Mass Effect 2, you know, it is like one of the major things it takes influence from, I feel, is like a heist movie. Mm. And that idea of building a crew and going on this mission. And it does feel fascinating in a way because I I think a lot of games have attempted to do a heist movie sort of thing. You know, like Witcher had its one. Um, Various other games have have like attempted to create that feeling of building a crew and and doing a job and all that and picking, picking out the right person for the right job. But Mass Effect 2 does it best because it, it's basically a test. Like you spent this right. whole game learning about these people, what makes them tick, what they're good at, you know, where their skills and talents lie, but also like now you have to compare that with uh, my, my favorite choice that you make is actually who you send back with the crew because it's mm-hmm. that moment of like, not only are you sending someone a way to protect this large group of people as they're moving back towards the Normandy, but the whole time I'm thinking I have just, taken that person out of my control. I have taken that pawn off the board Mm. and I don't know what's going to happen to them. And so I'm always like, I know that the way the mechanic works is that you just need to send somebody loyal or somebody like that. It'll be okay. But I'm always like, Oh, you know, I better make sure I send like grunt because I don't want, you know, I want it to be somebody who, you know, if, if things get rough, they're going to survive and all that. Because if I send Morden, you know, Morden's, He's a, he's a tiny guy. He's got he's got weapons and stuff. But I mean, is Morden gonna be able to take on the horde of collectors that that Grunt could? And you know, what if Morden dies? And um, I just find that 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 moment, like those moments, like like Michael mentioned, where you have like Samara, uh, putting up the the bubble shield as you're moving, and especially when her shield kind of starts to flicker mm-hmm. at one point, yeah. and there's she's she's kind of starting to lose it a little bit, and you're just like oh no, like what's going to happen now? What's going to happen here? And mm-hmm. um, it's just so, it, it's it's an Ocean's Eleven movie meets like, you know, a, a Seven Samurai or something like that where you're just up against insurmountable odds, but because you've collected this perfect team and you can lead them and you understand them and know them that you pull off this unbelievable thing and you get everyone out okay. And and I love that. I think it's great. It's, it's what Mass Effect 2 was like built to do i felt like it was mm-hmm. built to make this moment land um, yeah i'm i'm i i, I now now that uh Kenneth had brought it up i do i definitely um especially like with um a lot of the other rpgs that i that i love where you don't really necessarily have choice and consequence as much as you do uh have character building moments where the like the mm-hmm. the scripted deaths or whatever i think are the ones that uh hit me because that's when the writers have control of how it happens mm-hmm. Uh, and I and like you, that, those moments can be very sharp and very powerful because there's no other there's no other way that it can happen in in that game. So when it comes to the suicide mission, I do feel like it's 
it's a special feeling you can only experience once. Right. Uh, yeah. And yeah. Uh, it's, it's hard to tell people, like, ah, don't look at guides for the suicide mission. Just do what you think is right. Like, I don't think that I, I can, like, honestly say that to anybody anymore. Uh, at the time, I would have, but uh, but because that's how I experienced it the first time. Yeah. Is like there were mm. there were deaths and th- those were dev- those were devastating, man. And I was like, damn, I really fucked up. Uh, but obviously, like then I went back and I figured out how to get everyone alive. And like I got to experience that once, and you never experience that again. But things like Morden's death in three is like. Well, when I get there again, mm. <laughs> like that shit's still going fucking hit, yeah. like. Uh, yeah, because like that, like you said, that's something that's out of your control. And I, I'm glad that Mass Effect in these three games did something like the suicide mission. Mm-hmm. And I think, like, and then same thing. It's kind of the same feeling of what I said when Mass Effect takes the time to be a more personal game. Is that at least at least they did it once, right? And at least they did it extremely well the time that they had to do it. Uh, so like once you get to Mass Effect three, it's like okay, we had already done that in the past. Now it's time to do a different style of uh, storytelling and uh, to grab your emotions. And so it's like that it's the things of the unpreventable uh, consequences of just existing, mm-hmm. such as, you know, Thane and his sickness and then Morden making up for his sins and, um, you know, the final moments of three. So I do like when I look at the trilogy, it's like, yeah, they, they try to do something, even though it's all consistently mass effect, they try to do something very different with each game mm. and like some people a lot of people have qualms about uh, like three's ending whatever the fuck uh, or just one thing or another but overall it's like I'm just happy that they tried something different mm. with each game and to me I feel like they really they really nailed it with uh, each attempt I yep. suppose the one thing I wish this did have and that I really hate saying this because I have Ken, the game, the game we do not speak of on this podcast for fear that we might have to one day eventually podcast about it, uh, Greedfall. <laughs> um, oh, no. Uh, um, but the one thing that game did that I almost wish had really happened in Mass Effect at some point was at the very end of that game, your entire party is fighting through every battle mm. that you're going through. And you're kind of like the whole setup is that you're climbing up a mountain to, to get to the bad guy. And at, at every kind of stop, at every plateau, you're leaving some party members behind to defend against the enemies they're chasing up after you. And it felt very suicide mission at the time when I played it. And But also just the fact that it was literally every party member was in battle at the same time. And mm. you were seeing all of their abilities and stuff being used at the same time. And I really wish there had been a moment in some of the Mass Effects where you had that, where it's just, we're going to dump every character in your crew. Well, Eric, your... not, not to open up uh, like some uh, suppressed memories you might have, but that happened at the end of Mass Effect Andromeda in the final boss. Does it? It does. Man, I just... I just breezed through Mass Effect Andromeda, man. I was punching a check on that one. <laughs> <laughs> uh, if, if y'all need, if y'all ever need a Mass Effect Andromeda expert, hit up my boy Jordan Remain. Uh, he oh, is yeah. our <laughs> this is our Andromeda boy. He yeah, a man of taste. Like, he loves it. I, um, yeah. A taste. You know what? He, it was Exquisite. his work that that made me uh, start to replay it again earlier this year. Yeah. yeah. Oh, wow. And. Huh. Um, 
Well, didn't finish it that time. Let's just put it that way. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you tried. I did try. He spoke so passionately about it and then mm. uh, oh. just fell off that one. It certainly has heart. <laughs> we could say that. It, um, it does try. Yeah. So, you know, maybe if in, you know, a Mass Effect trilogy game that had happened with, with crewmates that were a little bit more memorable. <laughs> I'm kidding. Oh. I'm kidding, Ken. I'm just trying to drive the knife uh, in a little bit oops. more. <laughs> this is this is Ken and I's. Y'all y'all are new to the podcast. This is Ken and I's relationship. Is we're antagonistic. You know? Y'all just beef. Yeah, yeah. It's what it's what keeps the podcast fresh. Um, Keep it spicy. So, to to close out thoughts like the legendary edition, I I think Mass Effect Two is in kind of a weird place because as I was playing through it, it. It does kind of feel, you know, Mass Effect 3 is the most recent game in the trilogy. It's going to be the most modern by default. And Mass Effect 1 was the game that got a ton of love. It got a ton of attention uh, to, to really tune it up. And I think that shows. But that leaves Mass Effect 2 in a weird place where, as I was playing through it, I was like, yeah, this is Mass Effect 2, all right. Like, this is this is what this game is. It, it certainly looks a little bit nicer. It runs a lot better. Um did it need more than that? I guess is what we'll kind of leave off on is like, do you think that Mass Effect 2 as it is in the Legendary Edition is like a good way to kind of archive and remember this game by? I think so. Yeah, but I think it's, I, it's as you said, like the, it didn't need much right. doing to it. Like, yeah. um, I think the one think thing that we've talked about, sorry, is the DLC. That's it. Really? Yeah. Right. Yeah, I... I don't know, I feel like there's a very careful balance with this stuff, where with the Mass Effect Legendary Edition, it's like, it's not a remake, but it's more than a remaster, mm. and you, I think that they made the right choice with a lot of the distinct changes in Mass Effect 1, where that really feels like it's, it, it really feels like one full product now, from 1, mm. 2, 3. Um, but with Mass Effect 2, I I don't know. I didn't feel like it was in a weird place. I feel like they, they did just the right amount of touching up mm. where it feels and looks more modern without really losing that sort of feeling or that sort of tone or, you know, like just, just what made it special the first time around. Mm. Yeah, I, I, I share the same sentiments in that um, when you jump from one to two immediately, like uh, it, it doesn't feel out of place. And then jumping from two to three immediately, it doesn't feel out of place in that regard either. Uh, and uh, like the, the things for me about that, <laughs> like you never, you can never really, if you want to, if the goal is to preserve the game, you never really want to fuck with it too much. Mm -hmm. uh, and there are things about Mass Effect 2 that I like just don't like. Such as planet scanning, um, but you can't have you can't really preserve Mass Effect Two if you're gonna like change that drastically. Um, so I think that that's kind of important to do, and just like the things such as it running better. Uh, like the first time I played Mass Effect Two, I I, I played on PC thankfully because I can mod it. I had mm. to mod it so much to fix the FOV, um, and yeah. just naturally having being able to. Uh, like having a game be able to just run with looking proper like that, I think mm. is what's most important. Cause everything else, 
Yeah, because if you're, like going into this is like I'm what I expect is what I remember from Mass Effect 2. I think it's important that new uh, first timers also have that same experience for better or worse. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I, I do feel think like that, there, yeah. there's also just like some some in, inexplicable things that I like about Mass Effect 2. Like you saying that you don't like planet scanning. I don't know. I like it for some reason. I find it very <laughs> I like relaxing. It. It's yeah, and it it it's the it's the meters going up that I don't have anywhere else. Really. <laughs> oh. mm. <laughs> yeah, numbers numbers do go up. Yeah, oh, it's I... very satisfying. Mm. Um, yeah. And I I would have been, ups- been upset. <laughs> I would have been upset if there was no planet planet scanning. In the same way that I would have been upset, I think if the Mako was suddenly an absolute joy uh, to sure, navigate yeah, I, in I Mass Effect you. 1, which I was worried about considering they were like, oh, we have all these changes <laughs> with, the, with the Mako especially, which I, yeah, they, they made it a little better, but not enough that like, it's still terrible to drive. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> if I suffered through it, I want everyone else to suffer through it. <laughs> with, with planet scanning, just because we're talking about it, I only noticed this today. But you know when you go in to scan a planet and it says it's rich, and if you keep scanning, it'll eventually go down to mm-hmm. good, then moderate? Mm-hmm. I've played this game six times, and I have <laughs> never noticed that before. Wow. And I was like, wow. oh my god. Am I... The numbers can go down? Oh, the numbers went down. Oh, That's no. not what I wanted from this. That, there's that. Uh, the thing I noticed this playthrough, as, as someone who has also scanned many, 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 many planets, uh, the bars top out, and but they the numbers can keep going up. Yes. And I, I thought I was going just like absolutely bonkers, or I'd found a glitch or something. And no, I googled it <laughs> online, and people are like. Yeah, no, like you can fill up that meter, but the numbers you don't have to worry about. Because I was Googling, I was like, did I have to expand capacity at some point? Mm-hmm. Like, did I forget this part of Mass Effect 2? No, the bar fills up at a certain point, and the numbers just keep going up after that. And it just feels wrong in, in many, many ways. <laughs> and like people were talking about it with the Legendary Edition, where they're like, yeah, I guess guess they didn't fix that one, but whatever it's a weird quirk who cares mm. um it's called preservation <laughs> and I and think. that's the weird part is like this is you know this is ea and you look at other like remasters that we've seen in the past and, and you know it, i feel like mass effect is almost in a weird place because they had to come out and say like hey this is a remaster we're just putting these games together you know the idea is to have one you know big contiguous mass effect experience that is playable on modern consoles with some good graphics uh and you know they're being like it's not final fantasy 7 remake it's not resident evil 2 like we're not trying to do that uh we're just trying to you know make this game look nice um it it had kind of a high bar set for it i think we kind of have higher standards for remasters these days um because of games like that but yeah at the same time you know even though there's there's stuff i would want changed you know maybe some of those dialogues that are hidden away that modders are having to recover would have been nice to see those just be fixed now by bioware Mm -hmm. as kind of you know them making a little bit of a a make good on that stuff um Mm -hmm. but on the other hand like you know just having this is nice and and i think especially coming off of mass effect one where i was have having to constantly be like is this how i remember it or is this how it feels now and like, oh, the lighting's different here. And oh, this is different mm. here. And oh, these characters look really, really good. Like, oh my God, Rex looks incredible. Holy shit. And then, oh, Udina, ooh, not, mm. uh, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. But yeah. uh, with Mass Effect 2, it was like, 
yeah, this is Mass Effect 2. And there is there is a moment where I was like, oh, this is Mass Effect 2. You know, I'm kind of just playing Mass Effect 2 again. But, hey, I'm also playing Mass Effect 2 again. That's a good <laughs> game. <laughs> I think my, my sort of uh, feeling on that was that, like, we are starting to reach a point where a lot of the PS3, 360 games, uh, that era, like, a lot of those games are starting to feel more dated now. But I do think Mass Effect 2 and 3 still feel pretty good by modern standards. I don't think these games mm-hmm. needed a lot of the tweaks that Mass Effect 1 got, and I would argue that Mass Effect 1 probably needed a little bit more, but I think 2 yeah. and 3, mm-hmm. just I, I, they still feel fairly modern, just in the way that they play. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Feel you on that. It's a shame we don't have a more modern you know, entry in the series to compare the trilogy to. It's just terrible, you know? Wow, wow, wow. <laughs> oh, <laughs> my God. <laughs> I, I, there's someone I know. Um, no, I'm just kidding. I, <laughs> It's for uh, another time. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. Um I feel like feel like that's a do we have any wrapping thoughts on Mass Effect 2? Anybody got some um, they they want to drop that they didn't uh, like I, I still don't know how I feel about the whole Cerberus uh like plotline. Yeah. Like I definitely it's definitely compelling for sure. Like, oh, these motherfuckers saved your life. Don't you owe it to them to carry out their objective? Uh and then and everyone should not open another can of worms, but uh, at, when I first played Mass Effect 2, uh, everyone, like, re- reuniting with certain people, they look at you sideways like, mm-hmm. hey, yo, what the fuck? Mm-hmm. You with Cerberus now? This, you, you, you're not who I thought you were. And at the time, I'm like, no, no, no. What, like, why, why, y'all, why y'all, like, all acting different to me? Like, I'm Shepard, yo. Like, uh, come on, we've been through so much shit. Uh, and I, was, I, felt, I felt some type of way about everyone uh, coming at me like that. But now, now I play it now. I'm like, yo, I wouldn't trust this motherfucker. What the fuck? Like, <laughs> it's like, oh, you, you, you rocking with Cerberus now? Like, mm. fuck out of here. I'm, I'm like, you're, and also they're the ones who reconstructed you. So I don't know what the fuck right. they probably did to you in in that process. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm, I'm still a little conflicted about about it. But in the in the grand scheme of things, I do think it's such a such a fascinating plot device to drive you through. And eventually, like you. You're like, ah, I was using you loose, man. I'll eat my ass, motherfucker. And then you get Thanks to eventually like, take it to him. So, uh, and that, that feels, that feels good. So, but like in another context of Mass Effect 2 being such a, such a different thing, such a risky thing is like, that's what you're building your sequel around mm-hmm. is Shepard serving this, the shady organization that was kind of mentioned in, in like in, here and there in Mass Effect 1, but you'll kind of always knew them as the, 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 the ones who are kind of off the rails, the extremists, right. like, ah, we don't mm-hmm. really fuck with them. But then making them the centerpiece of the story for Mass Effect 2 in, in, a, in kind of a, a major way is like, that, that's fucking wild. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, and I, I, I do. Yeah, like I said, I do think it serves uh, its purpose. Right. It's just, uh, yeah, it, in a way, like the way the characters come at Shepard, uh, questioning his motives and all that, is kind of like me as the player did the same, like does the same thing now when I'm playing it today. Like, damn, this, this, yeah. like I do feel some type of way about about you, Shepard, and what 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 we're doing here. But of course, we know how it all plays out. And man, I'm surprised we didn't talk about that opening. <laughs> Because goddamn. Oh, the oh yeah. It's so freaking uh, incredible. It's such a good. It's like you said, risky and bold. Like, you, you're so excited booting up Mass Effect Two because you're like, all right, like you know, they said that my my choices are gonna carry over, uh, and I'm getting to like continue this epic story, and then it's like, okay, what a minute, like Shepard is dead. <laughs> what? And Shepard's brought back to life. 
Um, and you're working for Cerberus, this like terrorist organization, and everyone has all these like bad vibes, you know, against mm-hmm. you. And yeah, it it does. I, it, it brings me back a little bit to what Ken was saying earlier, where I love the opening, but I do wish that Shepard had more time to reckon with like coming back right. to life, or even there was even a little bit of dissonance with um, meeting up with like the old crew, yeah. with, like garris or, or tally or um it's just like you you brush over so right. much it's like it's been two years like we should be having more conversations yeah. about yeah. like all of this and how are you you know mm-hmm. i right. feel like all of that could have been handled with more care mm-hmm. yeah I, I do feel like in the grand scheme of things i think the horizon like meeting kate and rashley is the only scene that's like a re- well, I mean, Rex is a separate situation because I don't think he's aware that Shepard was dead. It's, that's a whole other thing. But, like, in terms of, like, Garrus, Tally, Liara, like, kind of, like, having, like, a m- moment of, like, mild shock and then, like, not missing a beat and then getting back into whatever's going on right now. Just feels like, reckoning with, like, the fact that Shepard fucking died. Shepard did not, like, disappear for two years. Shepard was dead. That was a thing that, like, yeah, it's, and it's, like, an overarching theme of this game. Like, confronting death, unless you're the protagonist. Everyone else is going to do it, but you're just going to vibe for a solid yeah. 40 hours. Yeah, I think I as well that. when you when you recruit people, the way that Shepard goes, oh, we're going after the collectors, and everyone's like, yeah, okay, sweet, I'm in, and just they don't. I, I get that you know you don't want to do that twelve times, right? But it's wild <laughs> how quickly people just be like, yeah, sure, okay, I'm in. Don't explain yeah. like Samara, Samara yes. in particular. It's yes. a line, and she just goes, yeah, I'm gonna put my stuff on hold and and then she does that oath like yeah. it's just like mm. wow yeah. oh my god this is like it's this, this is a lot of commitment <laughs> listen if y'all asked me to go me. on a suicide <laughs> if y'all went asked me to go on a suicide mission with y'all i'm with it that's it <laughs> well, <laughs> true, and that's what i like that's what i like about some of the characters is that some of them aren't necessarily like that like you know grunt is just i want to kill super difficult enemies like i want to fight the best enemies in the galaxy so if shepherd is going to go fight you know giant spaceship that has literally already killed shepherd one of the best soldiers in the galaxy once uh grunt's like yeah i'm on board with that let's do that but and like jack i think is maybe the most complicated because her thing is more just she's teaming up with you because she wants to get at Cerberus. And so she just wants to be like, you know, the sand in the microchip and all that. Yeah. yeah. But um, yeah, definitely like with Samara and I like the Tali, you have to, you know, meet her twice essentially and convince her Mm -hmm. and all that. Um, And and Mm -hmm. I think hers is like born out of a frustration too, of just after what she goes through in her recruitment mission, she's kind of done with doing what she was doing with the flotilla. But um, yeah, yeah, there's some areas where it's weird. And I think you can end up exploring some interesting parts of Mass Effect as a whole, because I think the more that I play through this trilogy, the more that I just see the sort of weird way that it addresses humans as as a species mm. kind of becomes a thing, especially by the time it gets to Mass Effect 3 and it's like, we're going to put everything on hold and, and we're doing everything in, you know, for the sake of saving one planet, saving Earth and oh I'm shit kind of, that's right huh yeah well, and 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 that's one thing i'm kind of like i get that they it, it it's set up in a way that that's like oh that's how we're going to stop the reaper threat is because they're all at earth but that also like keeps everything so centered on humanity mm-hmm. versus yep. the citadel or versus um you know 
any other planet that you would think would be a major hub that you would want to make your last stand like like Thessia or Palavin or something like that and um Cerberus and working with Cerberus almost lets you kind of interrogate that a little bit like you get to talk to Miranda and be like why do you care so much about Cerberus and when you talk to Tali you can basically be like yeah we're literally here for as long as we can use their money and resources and the second they're not useful anymore we're stealing the ship and running away (laughs) (laughs) and and Tali's like I'm totally down I'll loan you a grenade man it's like I I like that aspect but yeah yeah, it's it's a really, really difficult line to walk and you aren't always going to be able to keep both feet on that line. Right. Yeah. And it's also like deeply tied to like the morality system they have, which is one of my, the things I struggle with about like the Cerberus uh, framing of Mass Effect 2 is that like, it's hard to be like the good cop, bad cop sort of situation mm, when it is so yeah. deeply tied to human supremacy and a terrorist group that has done some fucked up shit and that is something that I struggle with in Mass Effect 2, is that, like, so much of, like, me just trying to be, like, an effic- like efficient in my job and what I'm trying to accomplish is tied to this organization, and it's sort of, sure. uh, you know, it's it's bottom line, which is the preservation and uh, forwarding of humanity. And um, so I think, like, you know, and it, like we've talked, like, humans, being very human-centric is, like, a thing that Mass Effect does. And I think, you know, that is... A problem in terms of like the scope of what it allows you to see in this universe, but I think it is also just inherent in the way that these games were written in the first place. And I think it's just, right. you know, it, it is one thing. Like I, I would like for things that are after the trilogy to like really be able to expand beyond that. But I do think yeah. it is kind of still thematically appropriate for that still to be central to like even Mass Effect Three. Yeah, there's playing through Mass Effect again just makes you think about all the stuff that you still want to explore right. in in new Mass Effects and future Mass Effects which is a weird thing to think about still <laughs> yeah um, I think that's going to do it we have we've got a solid two hours of of discussion here but I just want to like quickly thank our three guests for coming on for this roundtable today it was absolutely excellent so glad we've we got all three of y'all on as as first timers uh and hopefully if you know ken and i have already talked a little bit about like maybe we should go through mass effect again i'm not saying we will i'm not saying we will i'm just saying that it's a thought we've had we're still doing the last of us part two and then whatever strange things may come after that who knows but um to ponder the oddities of life uh-huh who knows but <laughs> it's uh <laughs> I just I just want to thank all three of y'all, uh, and I'll I'll let you run down real quick. Starting with uh, Lucy, where can the folks at home find your work and your your writing and your video doing? Uh, so everything on Gamespot.com, YouTube.com/slash/Gamespot. Uh, one thing I will kind of pimp uh, pimp the works uh, because it's very relevant to the conversation we've had today. But we did an episode of our show audio logs with mac walters Mm. uh one of the lead writers Mm. on mass effect Mm -hmm. 2 uh about specifically the suicide mission and uh he went through the original character design documents and the original design documents for uh thane and garris's acquisition loyalty missions and the suicide mission uh he talked about you know the characters that didn't make it into mass effect 2 and how the team approached designing and writing the suicide mission and so that's probably one of the coolest things i've mm. ever worked on with wow. uh with tamor 
uh, we, we actually filmed that in April last year and we couldn't <laughs> release it until, was it February when they announced the Legendary Edition? So we were yeah. sat on that oh for like gosh. a whole year almost. Wait, y- 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 y'all did that f- April 2020 or 2019? 2020. And then we released, oh, okay, it. We released it in February yeah. this year. Because I remember y'all were sitting on that for a minute. Like, this is I mean, dope, but... Uh, oh we, we had the conversation with them because we didn't know about Legendary. We approached them, I think, August 2019. Uh, so that, yeah. wow. that one was uh, a labor of love. <laughs> but it's really, really cool. And um, if you're a fan of Thane and Garrus in particular, you'll get a lot out of that. Um, so that's on youtube.com slash games. So I think it's called uh, the, the Cut Characters of Mass Effect 2. But it goes into the whole mm. thing. Um, and we have a follow-up video with um, a few folks from Bioware that... Uh, Tam and I are desperately like trying to work on, but obviously it is E3 silly mm. season, mm. Yeah. Uh, where mm-hmm. we're going to be going through some of their the Bioware team's like favorite moments of Mass Effect. So hopefully that one's going to be out in the next couple of weeks. Um, so yeah, GameSpot. That's exciting, Michael. What about you? You can find me and all of my bullshit at Michael P Hyam on Twitter, where I just. Uh, uh, spout out my bullshit uh and um about video games about uh, my personal life about when i'm like fucking faded as shit 2 a.m in the morning and i'm crying about near persona or uh trails of cold steel or final Fan- definitely final fantasy 14 you know the vibes um but yeah uh, i am also on gamespot.com along with lucy and i uh you can find me like i don't know i I, those games that I would, I mentioned that I that I cry about, those are the games that I also cover <laughs> mostly. Uh, so if you want, if you like JRPGs, if you like Japanese games, uh, it's usually me uh, covering that. So you can peep that on Gamespot. And uh, yeah, there's some exciting things I don't think I can mention yet. Um, but even by the time this comes out, but uh, keep your eyes peeled because your boy's uh, doing big big things. Because um, I'm also sometimes a video host, and you're gonna you're gonna see uh, quite a bit of that in the, the coming weeks can't imagine what's coming up that you any video would be required for you know can't imagine <laughs> i have what no idea man <laughs> Shit, who knows i have no clue uh elise i imagine the folks at home can find you at fanbite.com where else can they find you you guessed it <laughs> uh yeah so fanbite and also twitter just at elise Vavis. um yeah that's essentially it i i talk about rpgs and mass effect and um all sorts of stuff and just very random thoughts every once in a while on Twitter and just like my articles and um, yeah. We just interv- interviewed Jennifer Hale over there. We did. With an excellent podcast. We did. That was, that was it. That's true. That's yeah. true. We did do that for the yeah. 99 Potions RPG podcast on fanbite.com. We had Shouts a lengthy, out to 99 Potions. A lengthy discussion with Jennifer Hale about like, not just Mass Effect, but a lot of like her just personal family history, which was an absolute mm. incredible story. Um, so yeah, I would I would definitely encourage you to check that out. Yeah. That was both of us and uh, front of the show, Natalie Flores. Yes. Hey, that's the home girl. Um, and apparently, Nine Nine Potions is Jennifer Hale's favorite uh, podcast on the show. So I heard. Yeah, she said it. She said <laughs> it. Word on the street is. <laughs> Ken, who, who do we have saying? We had Mark Mir for the Mass, Mark for like I think like the last two thirds of our Mass Effect season. We have a clip of him saying, uh, "Normandy FM is his favorite podcast in the Citadel." God damn, <laughs> that's what's up. We we locked in 
lock that in. Thank you all so much for, for coming on. It was a great time. Uh, to limit it feels arbitrary at best because I feel like I could talk about Mass Effect all day, but uh, it was a great time having you on uh, mm -hmm. and discussing Mass Effect 2 with you. Yeah. Thanks for having Thank us. Thank you so much yeah, for having us. Yeah, this was us. great. You're... Folks at home, as always, this is one of our Mass Effect roundtables. Mass Effect 3 will be the next one coming up. Uh, this will be live whenever Ken finishes editing it for patrons of any level. But as always, uh, this will be going up on a Monday. I think it's it'll be the 31st, the last mm. Monday of March. May. Uh, and we, so we are in May. May. We are in May. May. Lord, two M months. Why did they do this to me? Um, and June 7th will be our Mass Effect 3 podcast going live for all the free listeners. And that will be with Ash Parrish. Uh, Natalie Flores and Emma Kidwell. It'll be another fantastic panel. But for all of us here for our roundtable, for everyone at home, thank you for tuning in. We will see you next time on Normandy FM. <laughs>